0: I said to you, I said to you one year ago, we actually got lunch, and I said to you, I am so mad that Firestar beat Monet, but I know that a year from now, I will be telling you, I am so furious that you made me love Firestar. And unfortunately, you have. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast, where Homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today for a surprise. Publicly posted bonus episode is Friend of the Pod, Jerry Duggan, currently the writer on X Men, Uncanny Avengers, Invincible Iron Man. He's got like a million comic books and they're all great and you should read them. I just read under sworn non disclosure agreement the Hellfire Gala one shot for this year. And um, Jerry, you're a sick freak for that. <laughs> So I uh, I thought we might talk about it. How are you today? I'm good.
1: I'm I'm well. How are you? Uh, how are you holding up after the mutant massacre?
0: I've been better. I mean, I so I had a feeling with all the titles that are reused in the Krakoa era in an interesting new way. The two I've been waiting for that we haven't had yet are mutant massacre and Phalanx Covenant. And I <laughs> like i am just like I'm I'm I've got I've got my eye on you.
1: That's so funny.
0: And so. When they dropped the line, I was like, God damn it. Now, we knew that this gala wasn't going to go well yeah I don't think I was quite prepared for how poorly it went that was <laughs> um and the um, funny thing is yeah. like you know without any spoilers so many of you had warned me like you said oh it's a rough year and Teeny said yeah I heard this one's really rough and Steve Fox is like oh I mean it's gonna be a tough summer and I I was like well of course we all have seen A bad moment happened in the history of the X-Men in the last 60 years. Uh, This might be the single worst thing that, I mean, apart from Genosha, but the thing about Genosha is that we don't know those people. Right. So it's not as close to our heart as a reader. Emma, through her suffering, helps us understand the gravity of all the souls lost there. And then Lorna does, too, later on. But it's an abstract thing. A number is a statistic. Yeah. It's another thing to see characters we care about explode very graphically on the page.
1: The mutants were successful for so long. How long could Orcus be expected to just sit there and take it?
0: Yes, well... I hope... I think
1: it's earned in that they really put their time and effort into it. If you've been paying attention in the background, they've lined up their
0: ducks really well. And let me be clear I thought this issue was great. Oh, good. I have a few questions. Of course. That I will have for you as we go through it. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed reading it. I'm not, like, I'm not sure <laughs> okay. that's the right word, but I was left with a very exhilarated feeling going into Fall of X. What it felt like to me, the closest comparison I can make in terms of an X-Men story, is that first part of Days of Future Past, where we just, we see it, you know?
1: I'll take it. I'll take it. That's high praise.
0: It's meant as high praise. Yeah. I was upset. Yeah. I was shocked, honestly, that a Disney Marvel comic could do this. <laughs> I was I was surprised. Well, we have to
1: it's always funny you say that, and then my mind goes to, I'm gonna be laughing like Philip Seymour Hoffman down at Comic-Con when they're like, What can we expect out of the gallow this year? This will have happened. The Marvel Hellfire Gala will happen right before this.
0: By the time you hear this, Jerry and I will have been in attendance at the actual in-person Hellfire Gala that they're throwing at San Diego Comic-Con, which will be really
1: weird. It's definitely making question yeah my my, my plans this <laughs> i mean here's the other thing that we should talk about i expected and i think we might need to in order to have any conversation that might make sense do we need to say to your listeners that you probably can't proceed until you read at least the hellfire gala if not the hellfire gala and uh, iron man
0: this is going to be full spoilers, and it's not going to make any goddamn sense unless you've read the issue. So I would suggest reading it, and I agree. You should read the Hellfire Gala 2023 one-shot, and then you should read Invincible Iron Man 8, which is also by Jerry and features Emma and Tony in the aftermath of all this.
1: Yeah, it's an event in a can in that we get 72 pages at uh, the gala, and then you have another 20 from later that morning that will really you know you run out of marketing hyperbole pretty quickly in terms of oh this changes everything it's there are significant status quo changes especially for the x line and for iron man but i think line-wide a lot of things happen you know, Steve Rogers convenes a, a, another Unity Squad, and there's a, there'll be a lot to talk about. I, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I'm also understanding that, like, it's a rough read. I'm sensitive to that.
0: Well, it's just hard when we don't know what comes next. Everybody I know who writes in that office right now has said to me that they're very happy with where their story is going at the moment. Well, good. I have faith that the story is going to be great, but we are in, this is the dark moment that presumably will, you know, lead to a rollicking third act and then an ending we can be happy with. But this definitely feels like every piece that's been put on the board since House of X, Powers of Ten, finally moved into the position on the chessboard where they needed to be to shut this whole thing down and all struck at once.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we need to be good to our villains we need to be generous to our villains we need to give them um, their agency and then we need to give them their gripes and they need to be understandable even if you don't agree with them and uh, i I think we we earned all of that across the board
0: i think all of this feels very earned good
1: well you know the the really quick as even before we talk about first hellfire gala the the document that i turned in that was like a 30 or 30 something page document when Jonathan was going to dismount from the book that I just said look Krakoa is wonderful House of X is wonderful I would rather John have put the car off the road before I jump in (laughs) the car is humming along the road it's doing great but here's what I would identify as something that we can do and that's to reinvest in villains because right now the the shakeup was so extreme and so profound that M- mutantdom was in lockstep.
0: Our old villains were now our old villains unlikely of- friends yes. or allies at the very least. Keep your enemies closer, but they were in solidarity. For sure. So it left a little bit of a vacuum at the center. Like what fills this? Yes. I think. Orcus, by its design, has been more of a background element than an active antagonist. yes it sort of represents the general conservative thrust of the world right now to some extent in the larger allegory of the X-Men
1: they, they were hated and feared for their success as opposed to you know being hated and feared for their for their differences, right But we tried to in orcus give you Oh you love murder robots? Well guess what? We're going to be facing off against murderous robots. If you, you know, are are into um AI as a as a villain, we have plenty of that. We have evil wizards, we have apes with PhDs. There's a lot of ways to have fun here. Uh Stasis has been wonderful mock. He's of course, a chance to be a, a mur- you know, a machine designed only a mental organism designed only for killing
0: organism designed only for killing <laughs> yes, time to it. give him some kills. I mean, not
1: that- he's, he's there. He's there. He's, he's ready. He's going to take off from the free throw line and dunk. He's, um, so in that, uh, we have lined up all of those characters. you right. Have their orbits. And now a oh, uh, boy is mutant. Um, not caught off guard necessarily, but you know there's a conversation that happens actually in Iron Man, Invincible Iron Man 11 where Tony and Emma are going at it and the the you know the the their love of humanity right was the downfall and and now we're into the spoilers everyone one of the ways that they did this was turn all the soft power that that Krakow was flexing and they've laced those drugs and they've shown everyone what they can do when they flip that switch and the, the those signals hit the drugs in their system. You know, they they can kill hundreds of thousands of humans. So how much do you love your fellow man, the people that uh, mutants have frankly turned the other cheek for many years after slight They're really behind the eight ball. They got hit with hard power. They got hit with a corruption of their soft power. And... Uh, some really asymmetrical things that some people have seen coming because we didn't want them to be so left afield that that you felt like none of this was earned. It, the, the hints were always there.
0: What is stasis doing with the medicines has been something that I've been asking since last year, right? Yeah. It was. It was the there, it's last. It's been a gala. long time. It was the last. Yeah, because he's been in that weird basement doing that for a while.
1: He broke in. We cut away. Yeah, we cut away from the last gala, then year two gala, to show you that while everyone was at the party, he was busy. He was working, burning the midnight oil in mutants' medicine factory, where it was all automated.
0: And then, meanwhile, in books that don't initially seem as tied to the core plot as immortal and red and the flagship, you start to see the pieces coming together there as well. In X-Force, Mikhail Rasputin his plot to subvert Pyotr and use him to destroy Krakoa from within happens to make it close to the finish line at the same moment yeah. that Mother Righteous and Shaw's plot to bring back Celine dovetails with, at the same moment, the fact that Kavanakaba has distracted Captain Britain by backing Morgan Le Fay. That was Ruben Brousseau, while the smart one, Mariana Stern, okay. has actually been parleying with Genesis to create a civil <laughs> war on Araco. So, like, there's a lot. Going on, it's all kind of hitting at the same time. And those are not all forces that are aligned with Orcus even. The Sinisters are now helping to coordinate with each other. But a lot of that was independent until this very moment. It just so happens that Essex's Sins of Sinister plans and Mother Righteous's magical fairy folk corrupting the island plan and whatever they were up to with Warlock and the Phalanx and the Gates and all like it's all... Coming together at the same moment, which is bad luck or is a testament to the fact that all of these villains have had really long game plans starting in 2019. It's a testament to the collaborative nature of your office that so many of these stories are now all coming into fruition at the same time.
1: It's good planning, I hope. It's also on the part of the villains, Uh, you know, it's good timing. We talked about it as a cascade. So it wouldn't just be one problem that would cause the fall of X.
0: To bring Krakoa down, you need a domino effect of like six cataclysmic events. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because they're pretty powerful.
1: Yes, that was really the thing that you needed was, in my opinion, the tainting of what was their, not gift, but what was their offering to humanity
0: What was their insurance policy for sovereignty? Right.
1: If you recognize us, what you get is an improved life. And when they corrupted that, they not just created a whole generation of human hostages. You also now have the ability to always have that sword over their head. How are they going to get out of this one? Um, is what we wanted to do we wanted to push their backs to the wall
0: because what would make any human nation necessarily believe now that the medicine hasn't been if not intentionally corrupted apparently you folks don't keep enough of a handle on it to prevent other people from tampering with your medicine well
1: that's the that's the really the the get of it's the this.
0: biggest piece
1: yeah 100 percent. the quality control wasn't there they were trusting right that nobody would do anything as heinous as this
0: well also that they couldn't there's a certain yeah like the simply superior thing i mean critics of krakoa that's something that has been harped on the idea that like why do they think they're better not every mutant does but it's a debate magneto says you have new gods now that kind of thing right
1: and that one comes back around in this issue
0: it sure does yeah yeah I'm a pro-Krakoa person myself. Not everything, and not necessarily the quiet council, but I think that the premise is sound. But that is a criticism that has some validity in the sense that arrogance, I mean, pride goeth before the fall, right? Right. Emma didn't think that Orcus could manage this because she's always outsmarted them before.
1: And frankly, how much could one woman do? She was really sort of the unsung hero of the quiet council
0: i'm not saying it's her fault no no but 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 if even she it didn't even occur to her that this specific thing could happen it didn't occur to them but she was also how much attention
1: divided right like she was Mm -hmm. the one with the fewest fumbles on the quiet council the medicines were passed in the rear view i'm you're always dealing with constant emergencies you're not ever sort of saying now so there is fault there like there's you know we talk about like one of my favorite data pages was Dr. Stasis talking about how now that mutants have solved for death, you can't murder a mutant. Right. You know, we should be pushing the idea that like legally, maybe you could get run up for destruction of property. It was the like the most dehumanizing thing that you could have thrown. The other one that really kind of made me laugh was recently... Uh, you know, again, the the idea that um, he took out an op-ed and ran it in, in newspapers, and we see this in our own life of, you know, um, mixing in enough truth with enough things that were not true where, who can tell? Who can tell where, where? And so a lot of that is where Uncanny Avengers gets its trajectory. X-Men in August onward will deal with the hard facts of life in Fall of X and what it. Means to have lost for the moment anyway their paradise and potentially forever. Iron Man has his own. This is Iron Man is basically in Armor Wars three, effectively. You know, he went to the mat to keep his technology out of, frankly, tomato cans. The characters who were in the back of the handbook that were amped up by his technology, well, now they're in the Sentinel program. So um, he's got his back to the wall. Emma's got uh, her back to the wall. The X-Men have their back to the wall. And Steve Rogers, he has a really special relationship with all this. I don't think he was ever anti-Krakoa.
0: No, I think he spoke very poignantly. Yes. At the first gala in Planet Size, I believe it was, when he basically says, I hoped that we could all get the future together. Get
1: there together, right? That's his thing is he is sad that his friends felt like in order to manage their health and safety, that they had to withdraw from America and go and form their own nation. And so he's he wrestles with this really great... Ben Urich floats back into that, into that book, and so there's really a good chance for a hero like Steve Rogers to stand up and talk about what is the right thing to do, even in the face of it being... Uh, an unpopular public opinion.
0: Well, what I think is interesting is that at sort of the same time you're writing Emma, who is the strongest voice, certainly after the death of Magneto, for this mutant minority separatism notion and Steve, who is the person who would love everyone to join hands and would prefer that America be made as wonderful a land as it could be than to see groups become separatists. What's interesting about that to me is it's, I mean, the thing about Krakoa that's been most interesting generally, this is a debate that's very active and live in every minority community right now. And the idea of separatism for safety is incredibly justifiable. At the same time, it makes sense that Steve is sad that his way didn't work out. The same way that Charles is sad that his way didn't work out. I think that the way idealists react to pragmatic realities is often what makes for the most interesting superhero stuff. So I'm very excited to see where this all goes. I can't wait for Steve to hang out with Monet and Conan. (laughs) I know, right? You know, he thinks Natasha kills a lot of people. It's going to be a murder no man unless you're looking that good while you do it. That preview page where Conan's doing like backflips and disemboweling people. I was like, I love to see it.
1: And then Steve's hand follows that. So I think you're going to find that given the what we are calling in world that night is th- this is the first mutant massacre that anyone has heard about, and it's a mutant massacre that they perpetrated. The mutant massacre isn't a massacre of mutants; it's a massacre of humans that were at this gala. So they are immediately the Quiet Council right has Interpol warrants out for everything under the sun for some things even worse they're real and what was made public via the sense of sinister doesn't help them no the truth doesn't always help and so fascism has a real foothold in this story going forward and i think we're all excited because now we really have given our heroes something to hopefully overcome it's good business
0: I have no doubt that it's going to be a rough ride. The thing that I would say to newer X-Men fans who maybe came in in the Krakoa era is babies it's been worse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> First massacre, huh? Yeah.
0: It's been a while since something hit quite this hard, but the mutants bounce back. I don't think this is the end. Take heart, but for now let's enjoy the really rough ride. It's a roller coaster. Trust the roller coaster.
1: Yeah, trust in the roller coaster. It has bars. But you know, I think your point is well taken that look, things are bad. Krakoa is not over, although Krakoa is severely diminished because of what's happened and then because of the way that it has been co opted. The future is up for grabs. And definitely, look, I always imagined one of the things that I wrote years before I ever got to Marvel was a speck, essentially. It was just, I filled in the blanks of how we got to Days of the Past. It was essentially the fall of the Marvel universe. Really, there's almost nothing that has come forward from that except in spirit. Hey, we have put these characters up at such a high orbit. What happens when they come crashing down And there were so many gifts along the way. Everything from inheriting Kingpin for this moment, from Chip's dismount in Daredevil, to various approvals of things that ordinarily would not have been approved for this because we're really making some noise now. And, you know, the Tony and Emma wedding, I'm happy to give that away. That got us the back of the previous catalog.
0: It said Mr. and Mrs. Emma Frost. I saw it in the comic shop and I laughed out loud. When I saw that, I was like, oh, man, they
1: really made me look good. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> that showed up on the, on the poster. But what I said to them was, look, we ordinarily try to keep these things secret and we can't keep some of these things secret. I think we should lead with this because there is so much behind it it doesn't happen in the way that you think it does. And I know that this is sound, you know, my parents were together 17 years apart, 17 years, and they were back together almost now for 17 years. So I know a little bit about people that are stuck together that are at each other's throats, and then coming back around and going, Hey, you know, this isn't so bad. It's really a ride for those two. It's really a ride for those two out of this.
0: Here's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah. I am a huge Emma Frost fan. She became my favorite character when Morrison was on the book, which right. was true for many people. Of course. Still love her fiercely. The fact is, when the Emma and Tony wedding was first teased by, <laughs> was it Mark Wade? Yes. I was petrified <laughs> about this fictional event that had yet to happen because the thing is that the other events on that page kept happening so it was stressful i never thought that i would like this but your emma is my favorite since grants oh
1: that's a high high highest compliment
0: confidently at this point i have said on the show several times now that the book i would give a new reader who wanted to get to know emma frost is the devil's reign x-men miniseries oh good it's perfect My favorite thing that's just a tiny bit in that is that you gave her mother a maiden name and you made her Boston Irish. And the fact that Emma is hiding being half Boston Irish is very, very funny. i Uh,
1: That's (laughs) also from...
0: As a person of Boston Irish heritage myself. But so anyway, I never thought I would like this. And the more I've read you writing these two characters, the more I've been like, Whatever he's doing with this, I trust it. I'm not saying I think they should ride off into the sunset and have 2.5 children in a white picket fence. But reading this issue of Invincible Iron Man, I got to say, and I, by the way, am an Emma Steve shipper. Yeah, no, I did. I did that, too. I'm very invested. I think that he is secretly the biological father of the Stefford Cuckoo's. Free idea if you want it.
1: No, I already had these conversations.
0: Because Weapon Plus had his DNA.
1: That's exactly right. I was like, if we ever (laughs) wanted to pull that string, that's the most interesting one to pull. Oh, wow. And it never, you know, I have an NDA, but there was a conversation. At the time, though, it also was... A time when new folks are stepping into the chair on Captain America and I wasn't going to go, hey. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. Of course. I
1: pulled the pin on a hand grenade. It's on your desk.
0: I'm giving him five daughters, by the way. Right. right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they're crazy and telepathic. Yeah.
1: And who, you know, what do you really like? What's the story that you're telling there? You know, like I don't. We have 20 pages
0: a month. No, I know, I know. I'm just glad to hear that I'm not the only person who... No, I who think it makes, it makes total sense. ...thinks about it all the time. If Weapon Plus is going to be w- w- doing that, why wouldn't it do
1: that? Why wouldn't they? One of my first real Marvel Universe stories was um, on Deadpool, where they were basically experimenting on political prisoners and trying to use X-Men DNA to basically graft the X-Men powers into controllable... It
0: was you men kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly right, but... Uh, an arms race is always a good place to throw your characters because what do they want and who are they punching is something that is often asked of us as we are sort of poking holes in, in one another's stories. In this case, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that need to be punched after uh, the Hellfire Gala this year. We've set up a whole lot of punching.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: (laughs) Or stabbing, punching with swords
0: reading this issue i was stunned at how much i was enjoying it uh, them i mean you mean the issue yeah 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 the iron man issue at, gotcha that's been because i've been assuming it's like a con job that they're running or something like some fun you know but now i'm reading it i'm like jerry is such a crazy man he might actually be going for this and what's crazier to me is that I don't know that I mind, because I'm enjoying this issue so much.
1: You're along for the ride. You're one of the best fans, Connor.
0: I trust the roller coaster. That's the thing. If a writer is someone I think is talented, whether or not I like every single stop along the coaster, I trust the ride.
1: Well, here's the thing that I remember about that, about that time. It's not timeless. In my mind, it's timeless, but it's not. It was uh, the history of the Marvel Universe, and then they Gave you a little bit of a flash forward where we said, "Hey, what's from the publishing plan that we can throw in there?" And there were some legitimate things. I think the King in King and Black was one of them. I forget what King else. King in Black, on that Age of
0: Konshu. Yep. It was a lot of Jason Aaron's events, and then a couple of Spider-Man things. I think Jason's
1: written further ahead than us, so he had more to talk about. You know, we were talking about was there stuff that we could give away from X, and did it make? It, did anyone have anything that made sense? to the wider reader if you weren't reading X-Men. And I think Mark came up with that in the PDF phase. So it wasn't there in the scripting phase. And then they came to me and they said, do you mind if in this future look at the Marvel Universe that they name check this, that they call this out? And I said, of course not, as long as they do not expect me to ever touch it with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) And they were like, great. But what's funny is as the story progressed... It became something that I had no, there was no mandate to pay it off. It just became, hey, I asked about Iron Man at a time when Christopher Cantwell was, was completing the end of his great run. And I, I said, well, gosh, you know, here's some things that we could do. I had a list of books that we could generate out of Fall of X that weren't necessarily X books.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Iron Man was one of them. And... Then it became, well, rather than have a friend in that chair, since I seem to have this great Iron Man story, I sold Darren Chan, who was inheriting that book from Tom at that moment, of going, okay, well, we're going to try this and see how it goes. And I think it's been successful. I've really tried to take what I inherited from Chris and give Tony. He was on the ground floor, and we're trying to build for him a new... Sub basement, and I think we got there. But of course, all the better, I hope, as they try to overcome this stuff and they can overcome it together. I think if you read, if you're at all on the fence about what their relationship is, the Iron Man issue that drops on July 26th and then August's issue, which is I think later in the month, will really give you a sense of how this is going to go for them. There is a, a bit of a time jump. And Iron Man is late to that party. So this issue of Iron Man is still pre-RX weeks later. Gotcha. There's going to be a lot of status quo changes for a lot of these characters.
0: Well, they've read. I mean, they've read the gala at this point if they're still listening. I hope. Go read it. Yeah, you couldn't.
1: This conversation wouldn't make any sense.
0: Reading it does not mean you saw pages leaked online or panels posted on Twitter. It means you read the comic. That's right. It's a big 70-page comic, and a lot of shit happens in it, and I think it's worth reading before we begin, because we're going to go through the whole thing. But first, I want to talk a little bit, well, not first, because we're probably an hour into recording now, 45 minutes. (laughs) That's not too bad for us. Yeah. First, before we get into this year's gala, I'd just like to talk a little bit about the Hellfire Gala. You were the big ringleader of that whole premise the first time. What was the notion? How was it developed? Who did you develop it with? How did it all come together? And what has been interesting to you about i mean it's the rule of threes right like the first one's a huge triumph the second one was mixed and this third one's a disaster it's very narratively satisfying in that way but otherwise (laughs) i'd love to hear your thought process
1: i'm very lucky in collaborators the genesis was having the privilege of writing marauders i said i think there should be a state function it's hard to imagine getting any juice out of like a typical state dinner on Krakoa. So what does a mutant state function look like? And of course, everyone must look fabulous. And that became very easy for me because I said, well, I'm going to do this in Marauders and I'm going to ask for 30 pages if I can get it, do it as a kind of an annual. Jonathan and Jordan and the whole flack were aware of it and we said, let's get to Chicago and talk about it. So at the top of 2020, we went to Chicago to discuss.
0: The very top, because it was this was right before COVID hit.
1: Right before COVID. We got into a room and, uh, you know, eventually it became my turn to just I ran everyone through Marauders as quickly as I could. And I said, here's what I'd like to do, like to have something called the Hellfire Gala. And we could rush them on this stuff if you guys want to go. You do not have to buy in. We were very sensitive at that point about some of our other responsibilities, but people want you to go tie in. No one's going to make you. And I, if memory serves, Ben was a guy who was like, this all sounds cool, but I don't know that it makes any sense necessarily until he sort of got his head around, well, state function is going to need a security apparatus.
0: We'll need security, right?
1: We'll need security, but- Teeny was uh, so uh, influential and uh, Leah and Vita and everyone that was writing, even Zeb was able to find a Hellions beat that I think was good
0: for the book. That's one of my favorite issues of that run. Totally. And I
1: was pitching the Hellfire Gala almost with the shape of it to have a story that we would build together. But what became apparent was we were going to inherit that other island out of Ten of Swords. And what would we do with it? I had a separate pitch that was Planet Size X-Men. At the moment, the core reason for Planet Size existing had not materialized yet. It was more, here's, here's what a circuit of omegas could do, a proposal.
0: You knew that they would terraform Mars, but you didn't know why yet. That was the pitch. I was sort of saying, hey, just so you know,
1: with our Marvel science, here's something that I think we could get away with, with the right kind of art. Obviously, I was dreaming, Pepe, who isn't? But it became apparent in the room that the Gala and planet size were going to get cemented together. They had it for a bit that brought them together, and that out of Ten of Swords, we were going to be getting a racco. That's when all of a sudden all of that year one clicked, and everyone had something to bring, something fun to do. The great part about it, and this is just from the story sense, because really our art ended very quickly. We wrote these scripts. The hard part wasn't on us. We got to say to our artists, "You're going to lead this dance."
0: Here's which characters are dancing in this panel. Design outfits for them that are eye-catching fashion statements. Like, you know, it was a big ask.
1: It was a big ask. It was a thing, though, that we bulletproof because we knew that even designing that stuff was going to incur cost. How would we pay for it? We had the idea in that room of going, well, let's see if we can sell the idea that there would be design variants. So a Russell could take a Storm, a wonderful Storm cover that allowed everyone to get what they needed. I, I tell you, I remember very specifically, if your character was being designed, did sort of feel like you had some authorship there. Storm was someone that was on Marauders at the time. And I just said, Russell, I don't want to overcomplicate it. Is there a way that Storm could look like she's wearing a weather system? And then we knew when we got these design sketches coming in, there were barely any notes. We knew that they had crushed it. So folks like Russell and Lucas Wernick, and not just a fashion-forward thing, but you know, it became something that our queer artists could own, and then let us sort of be in the in the backseat of that, and then. My goodness, we knew they crushed it because we started to see cosplay before the issue hit. Yeah. You know, there was wonderful cosplay that it came out. The, the turnarounds of the design covers gave everyone what they needed. And so it did feel like all of a sudden it was lightning in a bottle. For us, story-wise, the great thing about the gala was everyone had these wonderful images of these characters in brand new ways. Your favorites looked incredible. And nobody asked us what Planet Size was about. We didn't get any questions.
0: It was a great distraction. It
1: was a wonderful distraction in camouflage. It really was sort of a heist where we did our Little Oceans 13, we got you, in the way that a magician does, looking at what we wanted you to look at.
0: Which is exactly what Emma's doing in the story. 100%. Throwing this whole party while they're terraforming Mars. (laughs) It's another flex. It's, you know, if you
1: believe that any of this was not for altruistic reasons, you might think it's hubris. At the time... Planet size was an act of love too because they have their mutant cousins who have been at war for a million years.
0: The Iraqi needed somewhere to
1: live. Yeah. They needed somewhere to live, and Earth was not going to be big enough. There was going to be war. So we did a little bit of work. We didn't have much room. It was especially in cable, it was a culture clash. So we took a dusty rock that was our neighbor, and frankly, there's not a compelling reason to leave Mars as it is in our world.
0: Well, right, because what's that useful for? What is
1: that? It it, it does nothing for story-wise, us, narratively, exactly. So we have this wonderful now, like red and green place that it has a wonderful bespoke suit from Pepe, and it hit, it crushed. You know, they Marvel even printed the designs in a free giveaway, so we knew we had that had clicked and I think the designs only got better in year two and year three. I looked at them more or less as act breaks, you know, mm-hmm. for me in this great big outline to be able to go, Oh yeah. And here's where the floor drops out this year. And and then how, how we fight back after that. The second year was just a one shot. There was no need to have something that was line wide. And then this year, it's really an event in a can. There's 72 pages and it's got RB and Pepe and Javi Pina and Mateo came back.
0: And then the same day, the 20 pages of Iron Man drop. So it's almost 100 pages if you read it all together.
1: And that is, yes, it was a really big task to get it out the door from everyone that, you know, that that colored it to everyone that was doing lineup to editing it to Virtual calligraphy lettering it that it was a truly Herculean task to get these ninety two pages out the door uh, for everyone to read. I hope you experienced it unspoiled. Um, you may have to do some work. My guess is, and you know that those pictures are gonna are gonna float around, and there are a lot of different surprises and some things we paid off over the years that have been questions that have been asking about. You know, the Hellfire Gala, I think, has become. Unnecessarily divisive. If you were not in jacoa era, you might go. Well, what's this Hellfire Gala thing? It's like, I don't know. Haven't you ever dressed up and gone to a party and done some negotiation?
0: Well, there's a Met Gala every year. There's a it's Met not... Gala
1: every year, and that's what I was cribbing from. Yeah, it wasn't until later, by the way, that like I realized Claremont and Bolton had an eight page story that introduced Lordis had
0: done the Hellfire Gala with Lordis. Yeah. It's a reception. It's not like a... It's not this. But
1: he re- he put the two words, he smushed them together before we did back in the day, and you just got to tip your cap and go, well, yep, that's why he's Chris Claremont.
0: That feels synchronous, yeah. It does. There's a lot of things. You know, we talked about Jonathan talked to
1: everyone at the top of this and said, you know, let's mine our continuity. That's, of course, what we want to do. We want to go back and see where the gold is that nobody has gotten to yet. I hope
0: you did. Well, I'd like to start at the beginning and go through this issue. Sure. Did you realize, since I'm looking at the cover now, that this year you spoiled who won the X-Men vote? I didn't. They put the unredacted. You cover. said in an X-Men I Monday. Know that. So <laughs> I then didn't show the cover. But then in the preview. Coming up on the preview page, I it was the unredacted that. version. Yes. And we wouldn't have known. I mean we might have guessed no, because it's somebody like oh the would sticker's have missing looked, and juggernauts yeah, there.
1: Of course. That's the thing is like I'm happy to take the blame for that one.
0: It just made me laugh because it was you in the interview. You were saying some asshole is going to spoil it. And it just became very funny to me that that I was some asshole. It was sort of an Oedipus, yes. self-fulfilling prophecy kind of moment. Twelve like.
1: monkeys shit right in my face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll talk more about the X-Men vote when we get to that part of the story, because I have questions about that. But I just thought that was funny. And looking at the cover, I had to bring it up. I'll take the L on that one. (laughs) X-Men, X-Men. Hey, everybody. We're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited, as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about the podcast's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game every comic fan's dream. In this mobile squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains, like Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Doctor Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War and the real-time arena. Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their 6-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using my unique link available right now in the description of every episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through this anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I, for one, can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user. Please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike Force so they'll know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Force for sponsoring this episode. We now return you to the show.
1: X-Men! X-Men!
0: So we open with a sequence about Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel who, as people now know, is both an Inhuman and a mutant, and will have a new event series, Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, by Iman Vellani, the actress who portrays her in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, co-written with Sabia Prasada, who just wrote Ms. Marvel in Dark Web. That's very exciting. What was it like to be asked to do this? You know, there was a discussion
1: about if we wanted to do this and how we would do it, Zeb, you know, was already writing her as a supporting character in Amazing Spider-Man. And then she landed right on Krakoa, depending on how you look at it, either right in time or at the worst time. But there is a really fun sense of danger of, you know, dropping her into this world and saying.
0: Well, it's like Kitty Pride arriving for Dark Phoenix Saga, right? It's exactly right. I mean, I've said that I think Kamala Khan is the most successful Marvel solo hero since Peter Parker. But I also think, in terms of young female protagonists, which is something that's been done in the Kitty Pride mold many times since the popularity of Kitty Pride. Yeah. Kamala Khan is the one that this generation really has responded to, this generation of readers. So it makes a ton of sense to me to have her be the Kitty or Jubilee style POV on these cataclysmic events. If she's going to be a mutant going forward, which was, as I understand it, the original desire that Aminat and Wilson had when they were developing the character, might as well do it now when she can be the most important person in both worlds, right?
1: I think that's exactly right. She has some really big parts to play in all of this we haven't given up anything about the
0: yeah we can't spoil what's to come but
1: if you're a fan of miss marvel i think you're in for a real fun rodeo and if you have been sleeping on that character now's the perfect time to dive in
0: i am hopeful that it will Lead a lot of X Men fans who often don't read outside of X to go back to the beginning of G. Willow Wilson's Ms. Marvel run because it's just incredible if you haven't read it. So it's definitely worth
1: it's a wonderful having a look at. And you know, if anyone can carry the torch for that character, it's Aman and Sabir. So they send them X Men scripts. I ask for comments on what they would do here, what they would not want to do here. It's been a very collaborative process. Someone asked me the other day if they were in the X slack They're not.
0: <laughs> I think Iman Milani is a little busy to hang out in a Marvel Comics writer's yes.
1: So, And, you know, that show is only going to get bigger now that they're putting that show on ABC. Right. They're starting next month, I think.
0: And that's exciting because I think it was under watched. Yeah. It getting another shot, especially after everyone's been talking about Kamala is exciting. Yeah. Anyway, this was a nice way to open the issue because it was a relief, right? It's like, oh, thank God. I mean, you know, if you're a longtime comic book reader, this just happened to the Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange in the last couple of years. Steve Rogers it is what gets every single person in the world talking about a character who's a comics fan. So yeah. while it is a bit of a trope, it also undeniably works because we all, we all were upset when she...
1: Of talked. course. You know, there was a... Like, the schedule conspired against us a little bit in that there was a big gap between when she died, the fallen friend issue, and then when she comes back.
0: It could have been like one, two, three weeks. yeah.
1: That part never worked out because Spider-Man double ships, you couldn't move the gala, which was...
0: Right, because everything from Fall of X spins out of it.
1: I forget. I think we have about eight different line artists on it, and we have probably more colorists. And so those things were definitely set in stone by that point. Also, you start to get into writer bandwidth. I needed to letter a lot of the stuff early. So, for instance, I actually shipped iron man that week and iron man in august before that gala because i need the art
0: the lettering pass was going to be a herculean it was
1: most of a week and it was a hard week it's funny though as i look at this comic i have it open as we are talking and uh jumbo and the the lighthouse keeper yes i loved that did i ever tell you though I planted that seed a million years ago in Marauders. He winks at him one. Yeah, no. Did I ever tell you, though, where that was going to go? No. So until the Scarlet Witch story popped up, what was going to happen, in my mind, in a Marauders issue, was at the Hellfire Gala, Jumbo was going to run into some of the folks from the Morrison issue that had done him wrong.
0: Gotcha.
1: He was going to murder 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 and then sort of run elsewhere on the island covered in blood and going, oh my god you know i am not supposed to kill man i killed man and the lighthouse keeper was going to be there and then the lighthouse keeper was going to say how do you think i ended up on the island boy you know like i i, I also did a i also murdered man and they were going to be this great mutant and i just lost the ability to tell this i was like well look we can have one murder at the gala or Three murders at the gala, a rule of three, (laughs) but we can't do two murders. And then I was like, what am I talking about? I was like, year three, there's going to be a lot of murder at the gala. (laughs) (laughs) I set it aside. But that was a fun what if.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I was glad to see them officially together because it is something that fans have speculated about since that little winky. And, you know, mutant human unity, we need it right now more than ever, right? So. (laughs) I hope that they are, though, quietly having their own psychosexual thriller drama where they've had to cover up murders they've committed. And they're just like Mystique and Destiny, but we don't we haven't seen it. But, you know, it's just it's happening just off the page.
1: They're six arms of fury.
0: Absolutely. After Kamala has been briefed on the situation, we get some nice stuff between her and Cyclops, who obviously have a long history together from champions a bit. That I liked about Emma sort of pressuring her to publicly state that she's a mutant because it'll be a big PR win for Krakoa. And Kamala being like, wow, I kind of need to think about that for more than like five seconds, probably. Uh, And Emma being like, wow, okay, fine, bitch, essentially. It's, again, she was pretty cool. Two positions that are very understandable. It's a fun, immediate tone setter and also reminiscent of the Kitty and Emma relationship from the 80s to some extent. So again, it feels like a callback to those Claremont stories of yours. What's
1: fun too is Miss Marvel and Shadowcat moving forward because you'd think that they would get along great.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure I would think that. I they- thi- The thing about the sliding time scale is that Kate Pride is Gen X. You know, and Kamala is a millennial, I guess, but I feel like she's been... She has had an easier... Because she's stayed young, she's kind of transitioned into being a Zoomer now. Yes. Kate's politics, I would say, are still... She has kind of like, a, and I I love Catherine Pride. This is not an insult, but she, her politics, there's a 90s vibe, I think, to the way that she, and, and this is not a, a 90s. Well, it is in terms of how much blood and gore there is, but you get what I mean. Like the political situation has evolved sure. and this has been her problem on The Quiet Council is that she's just always kind of, well, wait, but this isn't how a government should function. It's like, well, this is what's happening, Catherine. So <laughs> run and keep up, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I'm excited to see it kind of all fall down around her because I have loved everything you did with that character in the Kirk Cohen age. And I can't wait to see you pick her up again. I'm really excited about that.
1: Her great desire as a kid, as a pure was she wanted to be a pirate. She ended up a mutant. So we gave her that gift. It just so happened in the third act, she would also be returning to being a ninja again, which...
0: Yeah, because being a ninja is the other thing that she did in the 80s. I mean, it is, it's very silly, but it's very serious to her is the thing. And I, I always find that funny. And Peach Momoko drew the hell out so, of the design.
1: It's a wonderful design by Peach. And look, after the gala, if you just think she woke up one morning and was like, I'm putting on the old the Ninja Warrior outfit.
0: Time to do karate again. No, yeah, it's not.
1: It's a good idea, <laughs> but... There's actually something that happens in X Men 25 that makes it a necessity that you're on a jet, you're on a rocket engine for that particular beat. I also do like where we were going with Forge.
0: If anybody didn't think that the Gala was going to, at least for the moment, end Cracoan Innovation, you dropped a pretty big hint about two months ago when you had Forge casually announce that he was going to end world homelessness this year at the Gala. Because the world outside your window, we can terraform Mars because in reality, Mars isn't doing anything but sitting up there. It would significantly remove the Marvel Universe from our real world if we could actually destroy poverty or world hunger. Oh. So the second that was put on the board, I was like, well, that simply can't happen. So... It's a
1: very... It's the thing where, like, the characters, you know, it's like, finally, it's like, I love you. And then it's like,
0: oh, shit. And it's like, well, one of them's gonna die yeah. next issue, I right? go back and forth
1: about... I just thought it was too neat not to see the future of Krakoa like that in Forge's mind and to see... Right before you blow it all up. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's fun to slip into the mind of those big thinkers. That's the fun thing about writing Forge is that they think about things a little bit differently. And certainly the same is true, I think, of Iron Man. Maybe their ethics are a little bit different, but he, again, is a, a Cheyenne mutant that used to make weapons so there's actually a really like a, a line between him and tony and here he is trying to atone for his past.
0: Well, he specifically replaced Tony. Yeah, Tony right. quit making weapons for the government in disgust, and Forge was the man they hired to come make weapons of mass destruction for them instead. And Claremont's arc for him is always about being a minority. I mean, Storm all but calls him a race traitor in the life-death stuff. Yeah, like- and because they're African and Native American, it has an added layer, but she's talking about being a mutant. Yeah, She's like, how how could you do this it's unfathomable to see forge now have come all the way around for mutant kind only to have it all taken from him by the kind of weapons that he was helping humans develop a Great, trip. yeah
1: you'll notice though he wasn't one of the ones who took the big l in this issue
0: no he's alive that's of- true a lot of people are not i mean As far as Charles is concerned by the end, no one is, but I I think he's mistaken. Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. We'll get there when we get there. Right. So we open with the Cuckoos welcoming everyone to the gala. The theme this year is friendship and futurism, which I really liked because it's like, well, the future ends here. Mutants always lose. No unity. Never mind. It does come crashing down. Yeah. Yeah. We see everybody hanging out. They're going to present the homelessness plan that Forge has developed. We also know from Kieran's stuff in Immortal X-Men that Emma intends at this gala to announce the dissolution of the Quiet Council and a move to direct democratic election of representatives through telepathy. Sort of like what the Eternals do, actually. It's like they sort of did AXE, and they were like, well, we're not crazy about the Eternals, but the Unimind thing was pretty yeah, cool, right?
1: So <laughs> Also, if you can elect
0: X-Men... You should be able to elect senators, right? So exactly right. The thing about the Quiet Council is it was always a theoretically temporary and unjust form of government. It's just that when you are new gods in those seats, what exactly is compelling you to give them up? It wasn't until the obvious flaws in the system were exploited by Shaw and Selene and Orcas That Emma is like, oh, well, uh, I'll still get elected, so let's go to direct elections, (laughs) (laughs) is basically how I read it. So that's the thing, is two things the future of Krakoa that fans want to see are happening here. People wanted to see democracy on Krakoa in a more direct way. People wanted to see Krakoan technology used to benefit more of humankind. By people, I mean both fans of Krakoa and people who don't like the concept. So it was like, we're giving it all to you right now. And then, oh, wow, do we just careen down a mountain for the next 60 <laughs> pages? <Yeah. laughs> The alarm goes off in the treehouse. Scott transforms from his Gale outfit into his 90s Jim Lee costume. There was a lot of conversation about this online with people trying to predict what it meant for the story. And then Josh Casaro is finally like, oh, I mean, I'm drawing Cyclops now. And I asked if I could draw that costume because it's my favorite. <laughs> Was there any other thought behind him switching to that outfit in this arc?
1: We have always invited our artists to draw any of the costumes. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point, I think Cyclops in a Jonathan issue was in the X Factor suit, you know, very briefly for half an issue. And I think that was just again. We learned, I hope, a long time ago to be able to give the wheel to our artists whenever we can. You know, if we can make them excited to draw the comic everything is going to be better. And so if it's as simple as going, oh, you know, I love Cyclops, but I wish I wasn't drawing one of these outfits that aren't my favorite, we just... Then draw the other one, right, yeah. If you want to put them in a new one, you can. Just make good mutant clothes, as we say.
0: We get a moment of Jean talking to Juggernaut, who out of story has won the X-Men vote, but in story she's encouraging him to stand for the X-Men vote, even though he is not himself a mutant. A gesture that fits the theme of this year's gala. I know that Jean's watermelon headpiece is a little bit divisive. I personally think it's a serve, and Russell absolutely slayed this one. I, I don't love think that
1: Russell headpiece. has ever given anything.
0: I love it. She looks like a scary bird of prey from space, which is exactly what I think Jean Grey should always look like.
1: That's right. I think Russell Dodderman is how you pronounce Santa on Krakoa. If Russell or Pepe or Phil or Lucas.
0: If they pull that character's name out of their assignment sheet, that character is in for a lovely time.
1: And you know what? Speaking of artists who I should mention, Chris Anka, I managed to pull back out of the spider
0: That Emma look is so great. I want her to just wear it forever. Well,
1: I mean, I'm sure that it was an Iron Man, but I remember telling him, I was like, hey, buddy, look. I think there's some design you could really go kill, and I I want you to draw some action this year. And uh, we've been talking about it for a long time. He's a guy that uh, lives here in Los Angeles and I've long admired, and whose work you will certainly know from doing a lot of the character designs on uh, this new Spider-Verse movie.
0: Yeah, it was great to have him back. He loves to draw Emma, and he always designs great clothes for her, so it was exciting to see him back on her in particular. We move from there to Kate in a Red Queen-styled outfit for one last hurrah, leaning back against the gate to remind readers that the longest enduring mystery that remains in the Krikoan age (laughs) is why Kate can't use the gates. My pet theory, and we still don't know yet, and I don't know, and you haven't told me, but I still think it's because of whatever Doug and Warlock did with Phalanx tech with the gates
1: interesting you say that because forge doesn't know how his power works for anyone that doesn't know ford
0: right no forge is intuitive and invents things without understanding how he does it
1: so well i won't i almost spoiled something but what forge said to kate i believe is very true he said your whole life you have been disrupting technology but now you have encountered a technology that that disrupts you. It was how I think, frankly, a savant would sort of explain her predicament because he can't quite put a pin on it either. But you did read the entire gala, right? I did, yes. So you got to the end.
0: Yes, which we'll get to. There's a post-credit sequence on this epic of yours. Yes, there is. It works really well, though. Good. I wasn't expecting it because once I got to the Ms. Marvel ads and it drops the Iman Vellani part, I was like, oh, God. Because that's, to be clear. A lot of. Well, SAG-AFTRA is on strike, so we can't promote... (laughs) But, like, that's huge. This is the first time that... An actor from the MCU, as far as I can remember, is writing the character, and it's not anyone. It's Imam Vellani, who is a huge comics fan, who has such a personal attachment to this character and had it before she was cast. That's huge. And that hadn't gotten out to the press yet when I got my NDA yeah. copy of this. And so I turned the page and went, holy shit. That's going to be national news. So I thought that was the end because that would be a natural. But then in a very, we've got our first MCU actor writing a comic fashion. You've got this post credit sequence that's like, oh my God, what? And so, yeah, I quite enjoyed this. Good, good. How about
1: Jamie McKelvey's Rasputin?
0: Oh, incredible. We'll get there in a sec. Okay. Yeah. So Kate is drinking, leaning back against the gate, which she treats like a wall, which is a nice setup for that post-credit sequence later. She's interrupted by Raven and Irene, who come through having some kind of argument, presumably about the events of the Rogue and Gambit miniseries in which Destiny conspired to secret manifold away into a no place for some reason based on her predictions of what was going going to happen here at the gala that manifold needed to be somewhere else he couldn't be accessed she did some pretty unscrupulous things to make that happen with rogue's help and that presumably will have consequences for them going forward it seems like raven and irene are arguing about it Kate doesn't really get to see what they're actually talking about, though, because Bobby shows up with Romeo, his inhuman love interest from the teen Bobby time, who also got a plot age up to be regular Bobby's age in the Luciano Vecchio Iceman Infinity comic. So they're kind of seeing each other again. And then we get a really lovely little page of Charles and Kamala.
1: Yeah, I I really enjoyed that experience i thought that was fun there's not a school now
0: you got to welcome marvel's biggest teen character ip biggest future i've said when the spider-man story happened i said to people i don't think you need to worry because i think that kamala khan is more important ip to the future of marvel comics than peter parker is in a long game strategic sense so i don't think she's going anywhere that's right You know, but you got to write that. You got to write the six sixteen universe version of. And for people who are just listening to this, who don't typically listen to my show, I know it's six one six, but I've said six sixteen since I was eight years old. I'm just, I simply can't, I can't change. I just can't at this point. What I liked about this is that it is truly welcoming because he takes the helmet off, which is something that Charles does very rarely in this era. Cerebro is sort of his shield. Initially, it was because Jonathan wanted readers to be suspicious as to whether or not it was really him. But then there have been these really great moments. He takes it off for the Davos conference. He takes it off when... Eric is dead and he can sense it from so far away. He takes it off when we find out that he's been compromised by Sinister. So for him to take it off to welcome Kamala to mutandom, I thought was really lovely. And Rasputin explicitly points that out because Kamala has no reason to know that in context.
1: They're really a fun, odd couple going on, Rasputin and Kamala.
0: Oh, that's exciting. That's going to be fun.
1: They're a fun gift. There's a lot of this that you have to be open to. You know, I had a I had this big, long plan and and you have to accommodate the unknown. And the fan vote always represented that. But there are other instances. You know, we didn't know that this was necessarily going to happen, but that's where the improv at all. Yes. And what about this? Right. You know, we haven't talked about it yet, but like Firestar.
0: The Firestar thing we're going to get to because I am. So excited for this storyline. I said to you, I said to you one year ago, we actually got lunch and I said to you, I am so mad that Firestar beat Monet, but I know that a year from now, I will be telling you, I am so furious that you made me love Firestar. And unfortunately, you have. Steve Fox, Jerry's laughing, you can't hear it right now. Steve Fox went a huge way to that annual is fantastic. Yes,
1: he did a wonderful job.
0: But- God damn am I excited for this storyline because it is Firestar slapping me specifically across the face, which I knew was exactly what you were, her saying, oh, I'm a cop, Connor, am I? Like, I knew that this was exactly what you were going to do to me, and I still, I teed it up anyway because I knew I was going to love it, and I do. I really do. We'll get there in a sec. She thought
1: you needed a good crack across the...
0: She thought I needed... I was getting a little big for my britches and needed to be brought low a little bit. And you know what? I love that for her. Good. The next page, which is also a fun bit... Luciana Vecchio draws these, and these pages about, are yeah. really cute. There's a bit where we just see that Carol and Rogue are talking, just to remind readers who maybe are only X-Men readers or maybe are only Captain Marvel readers that these two, they squashed the beef a long time ago. They have a complicated relationship. But Ms. Marvel, as a brand, has always been tied back to the X-Men. In a lot of ways, it was a Chris Claremont book, Carol Danvers as Chris Claremont character. She was a major X-Men character for a long time as part of Rogue, as half of Rogue's personality and as binary of the Starjammers. So there's a lot of history here that is nicely boiled down at the same time that you don't worry about it, hand wave the big Inhumans versus X-Men question that everyone was asking by having them all go, yeah, we didn't know you could be both and it looks like Awakening as an Inhuman suppressed your X-Gene and that's why you weren't harmed by the M-Pox. So there's lots of clever little continuity surgery done in this one page that I found myself admiring how much you got done in that real estate. Well,
1: you know, uh, thank you, but also credit Vecchio. I can't swear to you that I called for Rogue and Carol specifically.
0: Really? You have to go back. Well, if that was him, then kudos to you, Luciano. Good instinct. Because
1: there's such limited pages, if I don't need someone specifically, if there's someone you want to draw in the crowd... And, and sometimes there's a monetary link to this, if they're pen and ink, you know, being able to like, oh, I could draw my favorite or, oh, I could sell the page more if it's Wolverine. If I need someone, I'll call it out. I definitely needed the conversation. I think what I remember asking for specifically was, I know this is obnoxious, but I really need these balloons. They will be this size. They won't be the same balloon. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff that we need. to.
0: The first one is talking about Rogue. Like Rogue is used as an example. So she probably was supposed to be yes. there, but it's possible that putting Carol in it was just Luciano's instinct. I believe that's exactly how it played out. But if- Good instinct then.
1: Yeah. When you know how to loosen the grip on the wheel, your partner will do it better than you were going to do it. That's comics.
0: That's when Rasputin 4 comes in, just as Xavier is bidding Kamala farewell. And she says, as I alluded to earlier, the great X removed Cerebro and gazed upon you with his clear blue eyes. You must be a mutant of tremendous importance. That's when... Rasputin, who is a huge fan of lots of these characters that to her are characters from ancient history, kind of like Booster Gold vibes or um, Cerebra from 2099, did it with Kate a little bit actually last year in Marauders. Here, what she conveys to Kamala when she realizes she's talking to Ms. Marvel is that Ms. Marvel is her favorite historical figure. It's a
1: really fun flipping of the script for her and Carol. Right, right. Carol was her be-all and end-all, and here she does not know this person, nor has she done the things that she is being admired for. So, you know, a lot to live up to uh, all of a sudden.
0: It actually reminds me, in the 90s, Bishop mentions that Jubilee will one day be the most powerful X-Man, or one of them, and Jubilee's like, excuse me? <laughs> but that's always fun, right, with a time travel character. Al had a uh, cable do it with Rocket Raccoon recently, oh, which fun. was really funny. That's cool. Yeah, where he was you? just like, oh my God, sir, it's an honor with like a salute. It was in that, um, I think the cable reloaded. Oh, yes. Okay. One shot. Yes, I remember now. Then we turn the page, and suddenly it's Valerio Schitti for the introduction of the gods, Jonathan Hickman's new project. We get a little bit, a little taste of them here. This was kind of interesting because you're before Jonathan debuts them in the actual book. What I, was this experience like? I
1: said, to, oh, I was like, I I called him and I was like, Jonathan, what are we doing here? It's like <laughs> looking for traps, you know. I said, if we're doing this, you got to stop Valerio down off issue one, and he should be the one that is drawing this because he needs to set the tone and everything. So, I I took a whack at a version of it it was with those three characters and then john had a couple of tweaks and uh he didn't know that i had written he hadn't read any of this the hellfire gala but he didn't know that i set the last scene where i did mm. and it only made this better he goes oh that that looks like we were you know we were cooking with gas i was like we did it <laughs> because this is a direct callback to the end of house of x obviously yes when the Avatar and Dimitri are working for the old gods, who clearly the mutants may have
0: have perhaps offended. Perhaps
1: offended, <laughs> at least they seem to be at least caught the attention yes, of yes. It's very safe to say. So I will also say, and this is, you know, again, in hour four of our chat, which doesn't hopefully feel like hour four, I had previously read the first couple of issues of this.
0: Yeah, you had already read Jonathan writing them, obviously, but... It's wonderful. Oh, I can only imagine. I
1: forget how this is credited. It may just be John writing this page. I forget. Oh, really? I I don't know. But at the end of the day, they got what they wanted out of it. Everyone did. And, of course, it does make it feel, I hope, more important that all of this has happened the way that it has, that these new characters would show up at the gala portends some matters of importance. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful.
0: Oh, it is. And it feels very deliberate too because it's just this one page that's skitty. This one between two Vecchio pages, just so that it looks different in a way that makes you sit up and go, wait, what's happening now? Which I thought was smart. Because their styles are, I mean, all the pages are beautiful, but their visual styles are just very very different. different. So it immediately is like jarred. This is
1: an interlude that you are jarred into another. But the thing I like about it is that it does feel like you're at a party. And your attention is divided. So this Mm -hmm. Valerio and this is uh, Marte. They are art team responsible for gods too. And so
0: I have a question. Actually, is Marte the colorist on Uncanny Avengers? No, because there's a lot of places crediting him, but it doesn't look like his colors. So I was
1: Uh, no, it's Maury, and I forget Maury's last name, which is horrible. But I'm not always on the emails
0: we're back on the vecchio pages there's a nice little inset panel of fisk and typhoid mary to remind us of that situation. And it cuts to a group of characters talking about Fisk claiming immunity on Krakoa through Marriage to Mary in a way that I thought was really interesting because it's Sam Wilson talking to Prodigy and Frenzy, specifically three black characters talking about this rich white businessman exploiting a minority culture's system of amnesty to get his crimes excused. And it felt very pointed in a way that. I enjoyed.
1: Good. I'm glad you I had a lot of fun doing it.
0: (laughs) And I also I love Frenzy and this design is incredible. She's had a great Gala design every year. She was my pick in the X-Men vote this year. In a lineup with Juggernaut, Dazzler, and Jubilee, I think everybody was really running to catch up. A little bit, but I really stumped for her because I love that character. I'm shocked it wasn't Jubilee, I guess. I am too. So so was the whole world, I think, because I thought that was a forego. And I've called them right every year until this one. Frenzy was my vote too. I think we've always agreed because Tempo was your pick year one, right? Tempo was my pick. I couldn't understand. And Monet was your pick year two. We've actually had the same pick all three times. Yeah. And going back to the first year,
1: I thought, well, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to come into it and have already established her in Marauders as being of the moment and going worthy of mm-hmm. elevation and cool superpowers. And we get, we had Stefano draw her a new sort of gear head. Like I was like,
0: yeah, the clockwork, clockwork thing. Got, yeah. She, she got... I kind of miss the bullet, but the clockwork is cool. The bullet's just so dumb in a way that I love from my childhood. <laughs> I didn't have
1: nostalgia for the bullet.
0: I just think it's funny. I particularly, I have the Green Lagoon splash that Josh Kassara did from X-Force, like, up on my wall. And one of my favorite bits of that huge splash is that Heather is in the lagoon in a yellow bikini and just the The bullet. Because otherwise you won't know. Yeah who that character is from that far away. And I love the idea of her just, it's branding, babes. I love a character who has you know a a distinct brand. But the clockwork head is cool too. And I think a lot of people have enjoyed that design. I'd love to see her get, well, we're getting off topic. I'm just thrilled to see that character get more of a push. You probably wanted to do more with her before all those skip months cut down how many issues Marauders had, right? Because I feel like there were, that was around that time when a couple of those plots just got, truncated because of covid we had that going
1: on as covid constricted the world but also what was happening behind the scenes was we knew that i was going to need to pivot to the x-men and that like i was right to get off of marauders in as quickly a
0: faster than you had thought than i you ever
1: would. would have maybe even preferred but it had to be done and it was a privilege to get to where i got to on that book
0: Twenty-seven issues is no small feat in this day and age. Right. So that's when the alert about the incident at the United Nations, the Captain Krakoa incident, comes through, and the Avengers jump into action. We see Sam and Carol and Wanda and Thor and T'Challa and Vision, and interestingly, Rogue, who also has her Avengers... Key card still from the last time she was Avenger, which was your run on Uncanny Avengers, which was certainly the volume of that I liked the most. So I'm excited to see you tackle the concept again. Rogue joins the Avengers and goes straight through onward to help, which I think is an important moment for Rogue and sets up Uncanny Avengers in a nice way. We then see Lourdes port in and she notes to Emma this design, which was also Chris Anka, is stunning, yeah, by great. the way. This design for Lourdes. More, yeah. Yeah. She's like, hey, FYI, I can't find Shaw anywhere. Um, and so that's just, that's bad news. If you're those two women and you don't have eyes on Sebastian Shaw, you're not thrilled about that, basically.
1: Very, one of the earliest bits of bad news that night is, where is Shaw?
0: The next page is Russell Dodderman. As we get into the X-Men vote sequence that he has drawn each year, Gene arrives to run the telepathic vote. My favorite design this year is Dazzler. I love that design. She should just wear that. I mean, I know it's not practical, but it's so gorgeous. Uh, maybe, I mean, the face mask would be a little much for day to day, but
1: <laughs> it doesn't, uh, none of this has to be practical. It just needs to look cool, right? Yeah. And Russell, uh, it was so fun watching Russell's confidence grow from year to year of, I can't remember any prompts after the first couple of things of going, hey, this is what we're thinking. And then going, yeah, he doesn't need to hear what we're thinking anymore. We can just sit back and enjoy it. Crushed it.
0: Absolutely. This is when Jean announces to All Assembled that she and Scott have decided to abdicate as leaders of the X-Men and give leadership over to Sink and Talon, who have sort of been their protégés in this era, but also are much older than Scott and Jean by this point because of their subjective experience in the vault. So Jean and Scott have respected them and respected their calls a lot faster than I think they would typically with students they were teaching so it's been an arc that feels earned to me this makes total sense I still am nervous about Talon I like her but I'm just when someone is a duplicate I'm a Madeline Pryor fan I'm always nervous for the character who's the less recognizable twin right yeah Jerry just made a face I'm just I'm (laughs) making
1: everyone's grimacing everywhere
0: Anyway, this was a nice moment, and everything that happens here is a nice moment by design, I imagine. Juggernaut steps forward, and everyone loves the idea of Juggernaut being an X-Man, even though he's a human. And we get the big triumphant splash page that we've had the last two years of the team, which in this case is simply all six characters from the vote, plus Talon and Sync. Talon, Sync, Prodigy, Cannonball, Frenzy, Dazzler, Jubilee, and the Juggernaut. These candidates had the makings of an astonishing X-Men team. And Jubilee says, look up, what good luck, a falling star. And then you turn the page. Unfortunately, fate had other plans. And it's one of the most horrifying splash pages I've ever seen in my entire life. Nimrod rockets down from the sky so hard that... Well, Prodigy, Dazzler, Jubilee, and Frenzy explode. It's said that they all would have died if Gene hadn't been able to shield the crowd a little bit. Juggernaut is Juggernaut. I mean, Frenzy's pretty tough, but quite honestly, looking at it, she held up better than the others did. True. He landed right on her, unfortunately. Talon has pulled Sink away, which also piqued my, like, is Talon on our side? Because I'm (laughs) just always nervous. I'm just, I'm always nervous. Serafina loves to pretend she's other ladies, is all. So I'm just very on high alert about the children of the vault. Anyway, this is the page that I was shocked you got away with. But before we talk about, like, the scene itself, I kind of just want to address something that has, I think, correctly been brought up by critics and by Black readers for many years. Despite being a story that draws heavily on allegorical references to African American civil rights, the X-Men has never featured as many Black characters as it could. And this team features, or would have featured, three characters seeing that team and then turning the page and seeing them die in a grisly way. Everything in this issue hurts. It's the one moment that gave me pause. And I'd like to like hear your thought process about it a little bit, if you don't mind.
1: No, I can appreciate that. I think, you know, the mutant metaphor has always stood in for the other or the minority or the ones who are oppressed. But the alternative right to
0: You couldn't suggest an all-white team... Could
1: you imagine?
0: ...for the vote. Yeah.
1: Right. Like, could you imagine of going, well, these characters are all... Vote on these characters. The whole Guthrie clan is up for vote. (laughs) Pick your favorite Guthrie. So... I don't know. This is, again, we're recording this.
0: We're recording this a week before the issue comes out. But I would be surprised if there wasn't discussion about this page is all.
1: There very well could be. But the other thing to remember is that all of those candidates are elevation characters. There have been two teams of secret X-Men, right? And again, I don't know exactly how it will play out this year.
0: This is not the last we're going to see of these characters in this story, is my assumption.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to be careful.
0: You have to be careful what you say, but they were chosen for a reason. They were chosen for a reason. I think
1: the lesson here is going to be that the fans don't like their own decision as much as they don't like our decision. But I'll tell you, I didn't think any of those characters were going to win. Every time I would- You were shocked
0: was- by Firestar, which I was like, Jerry, she was on lunchboxes.
1: She was on lunchboxes before any of these voters were born.
0: But the cachet and it's on Disney Plus now, amazing friend. I didn't friends. know that. I don't watch that. But, <laughs> but, but, but also it gave me a
1: whole other problem of going, Oh my god, I have a t- like how many people are are redheads?
0: I have two redheads. Right. Yeah, she had to get a haircut. But they were always, by the way, these votes were always gifts. Oh, they all turned out great in the story, obviously. They all
1: turned out great. Again, I understand if you know because look, there's not any sugarcoat, and you know, you hit the nail on the head. We are driving towards, we're trying to make you feel like these characters are in more jeopardy than the biggest X Men comics that have ever been published. Like, take it very seriously that we are trying to leap over that building in a single bound.
0: I mean, I will say that, like, to see this happen and for it to be Frenzy and Prodigy and Dazzler, who is such a symbol of, like, you know, she's Kylie Minogue. She's not gay herself, but she's in the... I mean, she was just in the Pride issue as, like, queer icon Dazzler, right? So there's that. And then Jubilee, who is such an important Asian-American character, like... What I'm saying is I was really viscerally upset by this, and I think a lot of people will be really viscerally upset by it. it also did underline to me that Orcus is fascism, because this is what, like, it, 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 it feels really bad to see this team crushed under the boot of Nimrod. It just feels really fucking bad. Orcus is fascism. I guess what I was curious about is usually the other characters on the team are people that you've, chosen. So the bait and switch here of they are the team, the characters from the vote. What was the thought process there?
1: We went back and forth about different outcomes here. And one of them was, well, maybe we end up the vote getter is the survivor and you don't know that you're that it's a life and death matter. We couldn't obviously advertise that. I'm old enough to be a part of the several hundred or several thousand. I think it was nine hundred each way. So probably 1,800.
0: To vote on Jason Todd? I voted to
1: save Jason Todd, and we lost by something under 100 votes. It was like 40, 48 mm-hmm. votes or something like that. So, you know, that's also how I found out about 900 lines, by the way, which came back, and there was a callback <laughs> to me getting into some trouble later. But, yeah, you know, the fan vote was always meant to not just be fun, something that like we could engage the the fans, the fans would hopefully have fun, but also is an opportunity for us to have something happen in our story that we can't account for. And so I hope it was always fun
0: I found the social media antics got a little mean. People were being funny and making campaign ads and stuff, but then I think a lot of people just started yelling at each other in a way that was less fun.
1: I should tell you I've been largely like unhooked from it all. My wife has the like the account when I'm like, "Hey, put this link up," you know, like I don't sure. I don't I barely read stuff. There are occasionally times when I'll I'll look at the iPad and go, I'll check the DMs or a comment on something that is floating to the top. That's all I ever see is floating to the top. So I hope people you know, are, are not upset. It was certainly not a statement of we're going to load it with queer or black icons. We have a fascism problem in the 616, whether that has mileage in your own life, we're facing off against fascism in this book. And so you may see things that you've seen outside your window or not. We're telling our story. We're committed to our story. Bad things happen to good characters, but we also... That is a hell of an X-Men team. That is a cool X-Men team.
0: Well, it's devastating to lose them. Because it's a book I would love to read for the next year, you know? So mission accomplished on that score, certainly.
1: Our job is to break hearts. You know, I, I often am asked by people, why don't you have... Deadpool get back together with his wife or why don't you have Rogue and Gambit or why don't you have Scott and Jean, can't you leave them alone? You know, it's my... It's like, well, then there's no story story. if they're
0: left alone. Comic book characters are made to suffer. They live forever and they don't age. So you have to torture them or nothing happens.
1: I have to be the sadist. But again, keep the faith. I can't say anything more than that. Fair enough. And I'm sorry if I upset anyone. We're just trying to tell, I I think, what is a banger of a story.
0: That was the one thing that I felt like I think it will be a point of discussion. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to speak to it.
1: Sure. I appreciate that.
0: We see that Jean and Juggernaut have survived by the skin of their teeth. Jubilee gets a really badass moment of telling Nimrod to go fuck himself, basically, before he kills her, uh, which I did enjoy. I really wanted to write her. And you thought you would. This felt like the most stacked deck yet, I really did think. I thought Jubilee, like, she's the star of the cartoon. I thought there was no way. When the X-Men vote came out, everyone on Twitter was like, oh, my God, this is absurd. There's no way Jubilee doesn't win. And I thought the same thing. But I said the outside option is the juggernaut because he's very famous to average people who would just vote on Marvel.com. But Jubilee is more famous to those people. I was very surprised. Yeah, me too the fact that russell dodderman draws these pages when you know he doesn't do interiors very much anymore so we're used to just having these really beautiful images from russell cuz it'll be a cover or it'll be a character sign this is just shocking i was particularly haunted by just after jubilee's death here Dazzler's already dead because she was exploded in the previous page, and now her beautiful mirror face mask has shattered, and she just stares dead at the reader in half in a way that I really was. Now. If you read New Excalibur by Chris Claremont, you'll remember that Dazzler is immortal and always comes back from the dead and has a bizarre regenerative healing factor Uh that only kicks in when she's murdered. So I'm just putting that out there. It's possible that we just shouldn't worry about that. But it is a dropped plot that famously was never resolved.
1: There's a lot of them in X-Men history. Sure are.
0: Just a thought. Anyway, moving on. My fun theory on that is that Cable was totally mistaken about Cannonball, and Dazzler is the 11th external, which oh. I think would be really funny, because imagine them having to deal with her for eternity. Like, Apocalypse just has Dazzler now to <laughs> contend with. I think that would be really delightful. We cut back to Luciano Vecchia now, Canon and magic jump into action. I love this Silek design, this Gala design for Canon that Luciano did with the butterfly face mask. I think it looks so cool. It's been very exciting to see Canon become a real A-lister over the last few years. I hope
1: you like the Avengers that she's got.
0: I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, Monet is one of my absolute favorite characters. So those two, as the choices for new mutants to join the team, really lit me right up. I was like, oh, I am an Avengers fan. Actually, I don't know who ever told you otherwise. My favorite Avengers are Monet and Psylocke. Yeah. Magic realizes that she can't use her powers because of the nanotech that she was infected with in an earlier issue of your X Men book. Though she doesn't know that, she but we know. do as readers. Iceman charges in to fight Nimrod and we get a really cool fight scene and this was nice because again Luciano just did that solo Iceman story so him getting this big splashy moment was fun. Iceman shows off a lot of cool Omega level power moments but unfortunately Nimrod really prepared for this one and uh, fucking melts him. Much like having Russell draw the exploding people scene, Luciano's style is usually so wholesome and kind of sweet that watching Bobby melt like he drank from the wrong grail really wasn't something I was expecting.
1: I think that page where Bobby gets it is more upsetting than the splash.
0: It's pretty awful.
1: When I saw that, page, I was like, you should also say, like, where are you? I can't see you. Like, he doesn't have eyes at that moment.
0: Yeah, his eyes have melted out. It's like a snowman looked
1: into the Ark of the Covenant.
0: It's really awful. It's
1: terrible. We're terrible.
0: What I love is that Nimrod says, Omega-2 is dead. Now, where's Omega-1? Because, of course, Gene is Omega-1 and Bobby is Omega-2. That's really funny. I mean, it makes sense also if you're the Sentinels, you're probably going in order of like X-Men you've met, but it's funny.
1: It's also a kill list that was the thing yeah like i'm always when
0: fans well it always has been the term omega mutant comes from from it's a little weird now because he was talking about rachel but it was the earth 811 nimrod she did have the phoenix force at the time yeah who referred to her as an omega level mutant threat and that was the first it is the sentinel classification i mean it reminds me a lot this is just my personal life There's a lot of debate in Jewish communities about who counts as a Jew, how Jewish are you, is your mother Jewish, this, that, and the other thing. I had such a complex about this that during COVID, I had my bar mitzvah at 33 because I was like, I just don't want anybody to tell me that I don't count. The thing is, if the Nazis were here, I'm on the list. Fighting to be on the list is a fascinating thing, right? But it also is so, Jerry, Jerry's all, laughing and Jerry's voice is so low that when Jerry laughs, you can't hear it on the mic, but I promise Jerry thinks I'm funny and I'm not just talking to dead air.
1: First of all, Mazel tov.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Second,
1: if the Nazis are here.
0: Well, you get what I mean. You no, know, of
1: course. But, you know, my son's school district was one of the school districts that every two weeks we were having the Proud Boys break out the Hats and Bats came out, and like...
0: Oh, and trust me, the Nazis are here. They're in my Twitter mentions. I'm not saying they're not here, but you get what I mean. 100%.
1: Yes, I do. I do. You know, I think it's an interesting time to tell stories about fascism.
0: It really is. That's part of why I felt the need, though, to declare myself and to to not only speak up, but then also... I mean, what's really fucking annoying about this, Jerry, is that you've made me Firestar. (laughs) That's really annoying. But you know what? I asked for it. You asked for it. Not her mission, but just the journey that she's having of as an adult deciding that this identity is really important to her and then not wanting to be seen as disingenuous about it, wanting to really commit, wanting to be really a part of it. That includes stepping in front of these sentinels. It includes being Omega-1 or Omega-2 on a kill list. If you're lucky, those are the luckiest mutants. They're the ones who are new gods now. And they're still the 13 or 14 people who are at the top of this fascist organization's kill list because of the circumstances of their birth. And I think that really works. Good. Sorry to galaxy brain there for a second. I got to say, I really liked this issue, Jared. I really did. Good,
1: good. I'm glad. I like Gene firing Juggernaut.
0: That's the next page, and it's so cool. (laughs) The ultimate fastball special is Gene Gray throwing Throwing the Juggernaut.
1: juggernaut. And anyone else is going to take the instant loss there. A dungeon master would go, Nimrod, turn in your character sheet. You took 4 million points (laughs) of damage well beyond your hit points and save throws. Unfortunately, it's Nimrod. So Nimrod survives. Although we don't know that at this point.
0: We don't know that at this point, but it is logical to assume. We see the Sentinels, the Stark Sentinels, descending on the Knees. Sink has recalled Polaris's power, and we know that recalling powers when he's not in proximity is very stressful on his body, so he's doing something self-sacrificing here. And then Dr. Stasis and the Omega Sentinel waltz their way through the gate
1: surprise surprise well we knew actually there were uh, a few folks that hacked the gates here is another reminder that that's happening
0: what led to the dance i love this I, I just, <laughs> you know what
1: i like have been trying to challenge myself what are our best entrances entrances and exits are so important in anything but especially comics uh, it is a striking uh, this is Javi Pina, and he crushes it. It's a great little dance number. Come in, Omega Sentinel dips Dr. Stasis, and that's when he has his little moment with Charles to say, we beat you, it's over.
0: I am really happy to see Karima again. She had kind of gone off page for a bit because Moira's rise in Orcas was being portrayed. And now I'm really excited to see them together more because the way that they're each written here, it's funny there's nothing elegant about moira mctaggart even though she's this noble lady and there never has been you go back to the proteus arc and she's like you know hard drinking lady who's gonna get a sniper rifle out and shoot her own child if she has to to save you know yeah. like she's no fucking nonsense that translates I've compared her to Lady Stoneheart from A Song of Ice and Fire, this version of Moira. The worst, most twisted, broken impulses of Moira, frozen in that state of grief and psychosis forever because that's when she uploaded her consciousness. It's a monster. Karima is a rational, logical character. She feels more like the Sentinel we expect, and it makes Moira feel all the more barbaric and scary and i'm just excited to see them play off each as kind of like a ironically because karima is red and moira is blue but as kind of a red oni blue oni yeah kind of vibe but they're the opposite colors
1: <laughs> it's going to be fun this is a real fun assemblage of monsters to put against the x men
0: We get the flashbacks explaining what Stasis was up to with the medicines and that the medicines have been compromised, that for a while now, the Hellfire Trading Company and X Corp have been sending out pharmaceuticals with a kill switch in them. Modoc shows up and presses a button to prove that it's true. And it's really horrible. It's not just, you know, a kill switch. It compels the humans who've taken the medication to acts of homicidal, self-destructive, and outwardly destructive violence.
1: Also, the button that Javi drew is very enjoyable, if you'll notice.
0: It's a little skull, and little skull and crossbones. Don't press that unless it's go time. Don't press that one unless it's really going down.
1: We describe it in the script as it totally overwhelms your sense of fight or flight. So if you want out, you're going to jump off the building. If you're going to stay, you're going to fight and view everything as a threat. You know, it's almost like taking a live person and throwing them into the zombie strike zone. And they're totally normal unless they're uh, subject to the the waves that MODOK hits you with. And MODOK is a crafty person. They can broadcast this over cell towers, over large areas. This is a very confined demonstration of their ability.
0: And Emma finds that because there's a chemical reaction going on, her telepathy can't shut it down. Not like She least. can't quite counteract it exactly. Gene probably could, but Gene is distracted and is about to be very distracted. So, unfortunate for them. We see Fisk looking for Mary, which I found interesting. Their relationship is fascinating to me. <laughs> I'm just like very I I hadn't I wasn't caught up on Daredevil when that all happened, and so I'm like still kind of going back to read what's been up with them lately because that seemed like such a curveball to me, but I am enjoying what I've read of it so far. It's nothing that I would
1: have ever come up with. So again, a very good example of how in a shared universe, you can inherit or accommodate things in different shapes that you would never have and make it seem more lived in, make it seem more lifelike because of it.
0: Orcus agents are now streaming through the gates, firing laser guns and whatnot. We see bling and magma in the next shot, defending civilians and that's when kate jumps over to strong guy and we get another really cool fastball special moment where he pitches her through the head of a stark sentinel and she phases through it and shorts it out which is super fun as an application of Shadowcat's cat's power oh speaking of Shadowcat, cat i have a question mm-hmm. the k a
1: new look for a new ninja no real reason <laughs> i spelled it The way
0: I spelled it. I was wondering if if it was a trademark thing.
1: (laughs) No. In fact, I was like, oh, I'm spelling this differently than we used to. And nobody said boo about it. So it just stuck.
0: Well, there you go. The parallel with magic with a K is kind of fun. Also
1: true. I also sometimes write a typo in where it's shadow Kate.
0: She was kitty. Then she's like, call me Kate. Now she's like, I'm cat now. I'm a ninja would be funny to me. So I was wondering if that's what happens. My sister went from Katie to Kat, oh. so it's something I've experienced in my own life.
1: There's a really hard scene in X-Men 25 uh, that stars Cat, uh, and it's more or less the, the birth of, uh, of Shadow Cat.
0: The next bit is interesting because it reiterates the reveal from Hickman's Inferno 21 that Karima is not pro-human. Because when Fisk tries to help Mary, she punches him to the ground and says, Back to your corner, human. She has created Orcus entirely to advance. Homo novissima and the AI and the posthuman not to help humanity, who she sees as just as much guilty of her oppression as mutants are.
1: She has yet to turn over some cards in that organization.
0: <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited because Orcus doesn't know that she and Nimrod are not really down for the human cause, which is a fun yes. time bomb ticking within there.
1: Sing Orcus didn't know to the tune of Scotty didn't know. Orcus didn't know. Orcus didn't know <laughs> oh. Yeah, there's a lot of agendas that have yet. Mm -hmm. And also, speaking of agendas, Wilson Fisk will have his own agenda. As you might imagine, Wilson Fisk to always have his own agenda.
0: For sure. They're kind of getting the drop on the Sentinels, it seems. Ms. Marvel and Rasputin 4 have a fun team up. The Juggernaut is charging toward Nimrod. The Juggernaut is theoretically unstoppable, but even he can maybe be stopped by Nimrod at this point. Nimrod the Lesser has become Nimrod the Greater, is sort of the way I interpret this story, is that he's leveled up.
1: Our boy is growing up.
0: Gene then reaches out and freezes everything. And this is, I have really loved how you've written Gene in your run. On X-Men. I'm excited to see what Wheezy does with her mini-series. I and mean, having Louise Simonson back. How cool is that? On this character is so cool. Makes me nervous for Madeline. Louise, be nice. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> You've
1: did, you did a lot of work to put them into the orbits. for.
0: Them. No, 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 no. I know. I was joking. Yeah, That's a joke. No, But I get it. That's so exciting. I'm excited to see what happens there. But I do think that you and Kieran in Judgment Day have really position that character in such an interesting, great way, which I just love to see because I was always very skeptical about bringing her back after Morrison. I was reading this and I was like, I can't imagine not having Jean back. And then of course the rest of the issue happens, but she's Jean. She has a mini with her name as the title coming soon. So I'm not like super concerned, but you know, it's of concern when you read this issue. <laughs> it's
1: every X-Men writer's dream to kill Jean Grey.
0: To kill Jean Grey in the coolest way you can imagine, because she has to go out like the coolest character in your book because she is God, right?
1: Yeah, I think here in this scene, it's, it's not just Jean's return to being in front and center in the story. It's also R.B.'s entrance into the story. I think this is R.B. and Marte. Yes. The tower is literally collapsing, and she's holding the tower and the people in it with her mind and she should be unbeatable there, but Orcus had a plan for that.
0: Moira drops in. The Moira of it all is something we could talk about for hours and hours and hours by itself, but as a lifelong X-Men reader, to go back in time and say, Moira McTaggart, who's actually an immortal mutant who's been driven mad by her constant reincarnation and becomes a murder robot executes Jean Grey with a dagger through the throat is one of the most insane that would kill a Victorian child right like that's not a message that you can send safely back in time I think this page is incredible I love the use of Blightswell and the other world yeah. stuff from Ten of Swords that is a nice little squaring of the circle Blightswell disrupts All mutant powers, which means even an Omega-level mutant is going to be subject to it. It also shows something that I always find kind of interesting, which is the intersection between magical stuff and X-Men stuff, much like cosmic stuff and X-Men stuff. Whenever X-Men, as grounded sci-fi as it often does, has since Claremont took them to the stars with Dave Cockrum... Whenever it crosses paths with something bigger like that, you're like, oh God, I don't know what the fuck could happen now. Like anything could happen at this point. It's a great speech. Look at me, Charles. Look at what I have done and see what has happened to the one you love the most. It's brutal, it's awful. We cut to Scott, meanwhile, in the burning treehouse. Scott, the character, everyone has been saying, oh, he's gonna die because of the free comic book day story. But instead we find he has been paralyzed, much like Charles Xavier once was, is how I read this scene.
1: That is how it could be interpreted.
0: He's reaching out for Jean, but her powers have been disrupted, so she can't quite hear. Jean, taken out, provokes all of the others into battle, including the five who usually stay out of the fray, but just like, you know, it's too infuriating. And Moira stops everyone because she has the dagger to Charles's throat. And she says, stop them, Charles. Do it now or we fill airwaves around the world with MODOK sweet music and all those humans you helped die like squaling pegas." Very good. He takes the helmet off and says, stop. God forgive me. I surrender. And uses his power to stop everyone in their tracks. This is where another like long term plotting thing really kicks in because you and Al have been pushing this red triangle thing for a while. Al in particular loves the red triangle. Storm just had that incredible scene in X Men Red where she pushes him out completely.
1: One hundred percent. You know, Al is someone that even before. Kieran's return to the scene, Al was at that Chicago retreat in the top of 2020, and he didn't have a book. I don't think he was announced. And knowing sort of, oh, okay. and then Al will figure out what the culture, what the war, what the narrative is on what was once Mars. You know, he's been such a wonderful collaborator, as have everyone in the room, And the red triangle does come back around and play a big part if you don't, for some reason, if you haven't gotten there yet or you're a lapsed reader. If you
0: don't read X-Men Red, you're making the biggest mistake of your entire life. No offense to President Company. I think that's the best X-Men book of the last 30 years. I love it. I I really do. And I'm
1: grateful for X-Men Red to be like, I get to read it as a fan. Yeah. So I both get to be writing X-Men and then also enjoying X-Men that like, by and large, right, there's, we're not... uh,
0: There's not a ton of overlap, so you kind of just get to enjoy it as it comes. Yeah, it's fun.
1: The red cable does play a part in this. The way we explain it is it's Charles Xavier's way to teach his students to overcome telepathic coercion.
0: Which, as Al illustrated with that incredible collage that he made himself with his own hands. That was wonderful.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: It's something Charles has always done, but like explicating how it works is sort of a cool new wrinkle. What I like is like Storm was able to just knock him out, which shows her particular strength of will. The other characters, even Emma and other characters who can do it, they can't quite go that far, but it's enough that they're able to resist if they learned from him directly, which I like. And we see it as the story goes up, but that hasn't happened yet. I just thought this was very clever.
1: But in this also, his power is diluted here. It only makes storms what she overcomes.
0: That's very true because he was focused entirely on her, yeah. Stasis and Moira say that mutant kind must leave Earth. If they don't, they'll just start killing all of the people compromised by the medicines and they will blame it publicly on Xavier and everything that he ever wanted will be ashes in his mouth and et cetera, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. This, of course, is a callback to right before this issue when Scott and Jean have a conversation about Arako gene confronts him about never visiting there and he says that his fear is that it could be seen by humans as a place to exile mutants in much the way that krakoa found arako a little inconvenient you know and so putting it on mars was a solution it was a solution that gave arako what they wanted So it's a fair deal, but it is a problem on some level that you're like, well, we've now created another planet that we can be banished to. I found that interesting because I'm very pro-Arako, but I also get where Cyclops is coming from. Yeah, no,
1: we're all pro-Arako, but I think Cyclops was right. Cyclops, especially more than a lot of these folks. I mean, a lot of the arguments that Gene and Scott were having were sort of proxy arguments for what they were really talking about. yeah. They were arguing philosophy there, and I think Gene dreaming of this better future uh, almost in the Charles sort of way, and Scott being a captain of Krakoa.
0: Well, I think the interesting thing about the way you write their relationship is that Gene was dead while Scott became the leader of Utopia. Yes. A little bit of a fascist himself for a second by some arguments. Yes. And then the leftist revolutionary in the Bendis period, he became a very different man yes. to the point that the whole time travel story made sense at all. Jean missed that. Now, she was in the white hot room. I'm sure she was checking in occasionally, but it's different to then be back in that marriage. And to be two very different people. And that's not to say they can't work it out. I have faith that those two crazy kids can figure it out because they always do. But I really like the idea that she came back and he was kind of someone else now. And their worldviews as Charles's inheritors, they're not aligned on that anymore. Gene still is a true believer in Xavier's dream, the truest of all of them to some extent. Scott, at this point, is more sympathetic to a lot of Magneto's arguments because of all of those years. So I found them compelling on that score. And I'm excited to see where they go from here because, again, I I don't think their story is ending here at the gala. (laughs) But you never know. Jerry's making a shrug.
1: I must remain silent.
0: Of course. The next bit is the bit that I said we would get to later because it's so fucking genius that it made my head spin. Gene, like, listen, Blight good. Jean Grey's the phoenix, guys. Whether or not she's got the bird right now, she's the omega-level telepath, you can't keep a bad bitch down for very long. So she's literally dying, bleeding death on the floor. Her body is full of anti-mutant power-negating substances from a magical alternate realm between realities. And yet she's able to do an incredible telepathic triumphant accomplishment in these last moments. She goes to Firestar and drops the mother of all secret missions on Firestar. You are the only one that people will believe would have been the one to betray us from within to Orcas, to the government, to the anti-mutant cops, whatever you want to put it, you're the one that they will believe was the Quisling, so you need to do it, and before I die, I'm going to alter all the bad guys' memories with my last burst of strength so that they all believe it too, and now you're the one, and you gotta put this together, and you gotta turn the setting you have to save mutant kind now it's you that is so good jerry that i <laughs> put my i was reading it on my laptop and i closed the laptop in the middle of the issue it was just like motherfucker oh. jerry Duggan. and then i opened it back up because i couldn't stop reading it but i really needed a second to like i i took a little walk around my apartment like oh Oh, that's
1: good. He didn't even want to be in X-Men.
0: No! Emma did it as a favor because Emma feels bad about the horse.
1: And where do good intentions lead us? I'm glad you like it. It's one of the most exciting things. I had this pretty early when it became clear that Firestar was going to win. And I said, well, I hadn't accommodated this. This is not what I thought was going to happen. And that has happened every time. And then knowing, though that we had a lot of room to tell this story. This was where I was like, oh, this, what a great crucible for her to be put into. And you do not have long to wait for that story to kick in. Her life becomes hell in August. It's, it's hell.
0: I have really enjoyed what you've done with both of the characters who have won. I'm very excited to see what you do with Juggernaut. I have a lot of love for Juggernaut and his husband, Black Tom. And I'm excited to see what happens, what becomes of them. Um, Jerry's not saying anything because no. I recognize that that's my headcanon. Hilaris is one where right before this all goes down you had a great little scene of her in a depressive spiral because she's really going through it after the death of magneto and i've been waiting to see that and i really loved to see it she's one of my absolute writing that character is my dream it, to see that come back around was really exciting and i hope that we will see her again in your story as it continues because i love how you write her
1: well thank you i appreciate that you know I, always very lucky in collaborators and um no I, I uh i love polaris and it would be hard to imagine her story ending right now she's not on the list of kias from the mutant massacre
0: one of my favorite bits when Gene is briefing Firestar on your mission if you choose to accept it. But by the way, like, you better accept it because we're fucked right now. So it's up we're to you. Fucked. When Firestar says, if I need to, who do I throw into the bus? And Jean, without a moment's hesitation, says, Beast. <laughs> like, obviously. <laughs> Tell them the truth and you can make bad stuff up about him. Everyone will believe you. I love that because... Jean believes the most in xavier's dream of that 05 class she's the true believer in xavierism but beast to me is xavier's child Uh, interesting interesting well some things write
1: themselves when i got to that panel there was not this exchange there and i just laughed i was like I can't even take credit for
0: that. Setting them against each other the way that Ben did early in X-Force, I thought was really smart because they love each other, but they also recognize, he recognizes her self-righteousness and her hypocrisy, and she recognizes his arrogance and his... It was really well done. Oh, like, I just, I don't even know what other adjective to use about him these days. But yeah, no, really well done. And it was nice to bring it back around here. Charles puts on Cerebro and says to Moira, damn you for this. And she says, if hell's a real place, I'll say that, Charles. And he says, go, my X-Men, and begins sending all mutants worldwide in a callback to him talking to all humans worldwide in House of X, compels them to go through the gates to Araco, just like Scott had feared would one day maybe happen to them. We see Mother Righteous doing something to one of the gates. She says, bon voyage, schlabs, and does some kind of spooky thing. Then she sucks the Atlantic Krakoan offshoot that we've all wondered what that's about ever since it was first on the map. (laughs) She grabs that and snatches it up into one of her little lantern orbs. This is when we first see the red triangle moment because Nightcrawler is in Washington Square Park in New York and he refuses the call and we see the red triangle resist. All over the world, the mutants just begin marching into the gate. We see Kate and Emma do the Red Triangle resist. Lourdes, standing next to them, was never found or trained by Charles Xavier, so she doesn't know how to do it. It's an interesting moment because there's always, and this has been the problem with the Quiet Council, right, is that, like, proximity to Xavier or to Magneto, is what has made you important in this culture. This is an example of that class system that is inherent because Xavier only gave these 40 mutants that he has personally trained the ability to counteract his power. It reminds me of, like, I talk a lot on my show about Tommy the Morlock who dies at the beginning of Mutant Massacre and how she's... About Kitty Pride's age, she has basically Kitty Pride's power, but not as good. She can flatten herself and get through cracks, but she can't walk through walls. And she's a visible mutant with rainbow skin and hair. That person was not useful to Charles Xavier, and he let her live down in the sewers. I am more of a Charles defender than some people. I do think he's well-intentioned, but again, the road to hell. I mean, and I think some of the choices, Al's been really pushing this button too with Storm. Yeah. And how fucked up it was that Charles Xavier told her her culture didn't matter and that she should come help him instead when she was 25 and suggestible, you know? To me, the fall of X, X has meant so many things in this era, right? It can mean mutantum, it can mean 10, it can mean a variable, as in the case of Moira X, which is both 10 and the variable, right? And also mutant. She's kind of all of them. That's Jonathan's little genius wordplay. But here I think it stands for Xavier. It does feel like this, this is the complete failure of Xavierism.
1: I think so. I think so.
0: We get a data page explaining the Red Triangle Protocol for psychic defense. And this is interesting because it's written from a future perspective, much like the new history of Arako that that which was Xylo or whatever exactly It's called now, which I forget. The Xylo Collective is writing a new history of Arako, and it's written retrospectively as someone who already knows what's going to happen. In Immortal, we have a similar thing with Mother Righteous's book that's telling us about this story in past tense. Here, we get a data page that's in the past tense. The color red was selected because of its association with danger, and the shape of the defense uses the strongest geometric shape. Xavier was adamant his students became proficient in the defense in case he himself should ever become compromised. It was only through the Red Triangle Protocol that any of mutantdoms survived the second mutant massacre. Even now, when mutants meet, they often part with a single word, resist, written in the Red Triangle. That adds such a weight to this, that this is a pivotal moment in history to the point that in the sliding timescale of the Marvel Universe, retroactively people will be talking about this day. I found that very effective.
1: Well, I'm glad you did. And I hope if you were unnerved by anything, you might take solace in the fact that it was written in the, in the past tense.
0: It reminds me of The Handmaid's Tale, actually. The story in The Handmaid's Tale, it's happening to her in her present, but the context of The Handmaid's Tale is that sociologists and anthropologists are analyzing these documents, these primary documents, after the fall of the fascist regime. So you as a reader at least know that even if nothing good will happen to this woman, eventually, in part through her actions, the regime will fall. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was good.
1: I'll like this too. I obviously showed it to him, and we didn't have the geometry of it really down. He was like, "Oh, this," you know. I think it made a lot of good sense to make a, a bigger moment of it here. And I thought everyone did a, a really wonderful job, and including the letterers on a difficult assignment of making the actual word that you're reading a physical triangle on the page. It's both a word book and a physical red triangle
0: yeah it's kind of onomatopoeic in like a weird way it's cool it feels like it has weight on the page we get gene who is not got much time left giving firestar some lasting encouragement and firestar screams out please i can't do this alone we cut to see that gene is truly just an astral ghost at this point because the horrific splash page this may be one of the like it's a real contest for most upsetting panel or page in this issue jerry's laughing they're all bad (laughs) This page of skeleton gene with Charles wailing in agony above her as hell burns around him and mutants march obediently at his instruction to exile, as far as he knows and who knows what actually. This was the moment I looked at this and said, this is the complete and utter failure of this man's philosophy gene even knows it like gene has transcended it in this moment because gene she's the only her that ever was Aya, she is what she is when she gets these moments of cosmic awareness she's the only one who can really get it and she's looking at this and she's like oh okay charles i'm sorry it's over we're done with this we got to do something else the Firestar Stratagem is really smart. She appears to Scott. I like that she appears to Scott as Marvel Girl. I thought that was a nice touch. It reminds me of Dark Phoenix Saga, of course. And then she goes to Wolverine, who's resisting. And he knows immediately because it's not his first time at the jeans-dying rodeo, <laughs> certainly, either. <It's- laughs>
1: um uh, yeah, this was a f- lot of fun. The the this was Joshua and Marte, and then the Logan page was uh, Kubert. And I'm sorry, I actually don't know uh, colored it, but wonderful job. Gorgeous. You know, when you have the caliber of artists that were thrown at this, they can really make something permanent. And you know, I hope these comics. Uh, you know, nobody wants to ever make a bad X Men comic. I hope these ones stand the test of time. I, they certainly have given them every chance to do that.
0: So. We get Destiny looking back. She doesn't seem impacted at all by Charles' instruction. She looks back over her shoulder and says, This was our only chance. I'm sorry. Raven, listen to Charles. So much death and destruction, and it all culminates in a giant X in the heavens with the fall of the Krakoans. Exodus pushes his Messiah and the rest of the five through the portal while they try to fight back, which I really like. Because it's like, no, dude, I mean, he he's like, I got to protect them. This is the only thing that matters. But I don't know if going through those gates is a great idea. And then we get another contender for most upsetting page I've ever read. Mystique does not have the red triangle defense because Charles would never have trusted her enough to teach her that. But this is something we've known about Mystique for many years. Her malleable brain is very hard for telepaths to control or access. So she's able to resist. And I assume that's what this was calling back to. Absolutely. And she says, Charles, how dare you try to command me? And he fires a leave raven with all his might at her. And she basically has a stroke, still won't listen, runs screaming through the window My mind, stop, please, no more. She screams and falls all the way down onto the rocks where she is dashed to her death because she wasn't going to let Charles control her again. Not after everything in the first year of Krakoa.
1: Death is not the worst that can happen. No. Subjugation. and So this welcomes Chris Hanko back into the comic, too.
0: God, this page is great. Uh, This made me feel sick. Uh, (laughs) uh, I keep laughing Because it's like so horrible That I just I don't know what else to do About this comic The next page is where we see Moira In like the true This was just in one of the X-Men Monday previews For Orcus Monday And this panel is so great She's so scary I think that this character Like I loved good Moira Well she was never good But I always loved like you know Hero Moira who was our friend This Version of Moira is to me fascinating I cannot wait to see where her story- She's terrifying. She's scary to me in a way that most comic book villains are not, and it's in part because she was our mom, right? Like we trusted her. Charles and Moira were our dad and our mom in this franchise, and now dad is ordering you to march in lockstep at the orders of these fascists because of his oversights and he didn't see them coming, and mom. Is the one leading the fascists to kill you all, and it's really, it just, again, I'm Firestar screaming. I can't do this by myself. I don't know how to do this. It's, uh, I, I'm upset, Jerry. I, 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 I read this, and uh, I'm, I'm still processing, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm emotional about some of the contents therein.
1: The orphans of the atom. Yeah. We have challenged them now. I, I hope. You know, it's given almost insurmountable challenge, but that's the gig. That's the job. I am truly glad that even though there's a lot of upsetting stuff that you were still enjoying the experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, I survived the experience (laughs) at the very least. There's then a good moment where Emma does her red triangle resist and now more characters than probably should be, it's spreading memetically. Yes. Characters like Lourdes, who couldn't do it before now, are. or Conan, who was never trained by Xavier, is also doing it now. We see Ms. Marvel say it. So the defense is starting to spread. The resistance is starting to spread, which is nice. It's a fun thing to see. We see Sync, we see Akihiro, we see Monet, Rasputin four characters who we can assume we will be seeing more of as the story continues or who we already know will be in books for Fall of X.
1: That's exactly right, is that we've effectively, it's not quite an M-Day situation, but the available, the cast list has been shortened.
0: right. The characters who are resisting here are the characters we're likely to see for the next six months, is sort of my assumption. Apart from the ones who had already been pushed through the gates to books like Realm of Acts, but we know those books are coming, so.
1: And we also saw, by the way, something that Torin will touch on in Realm, Curse.
0: Curse lays a curse on Xavier as she's pushed out. And
1: something happens with that gate when she goes through it, too. There's like a fritz and a pop, and we'll see...
0: There's a sound effect. I want to stay. Damn you, Charles. Curse you, bald piece of scrub up yep. Yeah. Emma manages to telepathically rouse everyone for a second who has been red triangling. Says, everyone wake up. Grab hands. Lourdes, it's now or never. And Lourdes says, this is, by the way, I love this whole sequence as a callback to the original Hellfire Gala from classic X-Men. It works really well. I'm bummed about it, but it's a pretty incredible moment for this character. Lourdes says she's never tried to teleport that many people before, but she's going to do it. Kate screams out, hold fast, and grabs Emma's hand, which is great. Moira immediately clocks what's going on. Stop the teleporter. These mutants cannot escape, and she hurls a knife that slams right into, who is that? in the green suit. One of the humans. It's a botch. She, she misses. She jumps on Charles and screams that they need to open fire and kill Lordis immediately. One of the Orcus guys turns his gun to shoot her and says, I got her. And Fisk, who, as we know, was the person that Emma indentured Lordis to, like, helped her escape Shaw by selling her to another powerful criminal man but we don't know anything about Lourdes and Fisk and how they interact with each other or what they think of each other. So this is a moment that's fun because I had assumed that Fisk was up to no good and wasn't going to necessarily help mutant kind. I thought he was just taking advantage of his wife's mutant status, which is a reasonable thing to think.
1: He certainly was until the gala, but now...
0: And now he steps in and crushes that guy's head with his bare hand to prevent him from killing Lordis, unfortunately, there's another one who manages to shoot her right as everyone pops away. They land in the basement of the old Hellfire Club, which I think was last seen in your run on Savage Avengers, right? When uh... Conan was
1: there and being evicted.
0: Conan was there. Yeah. They're all talking and trying to figure out what's going on. Kate says we have to get help and go back for Charles and the others because Kate, it's funny. He's a jerk, but she really does always want to believe in him at the end of the day, right?
1: And there's, there's humans there. They can't let...
0: Yes. There are people they need to help, but the fact that yeah. Kate says Charles specifically, I'm like, Kate, not right now, babe. <laughs> Love you. And I get it, but not right now. Yeah. That's when they realize that you're really mean, you know, because you retconned that Lourdes had never died in this exact fashion in the original story, but now she does, in fact, die from being shot through the chest while she was teleporting to save everyone. You should have stayed away from me, Emma says, and Krakoa. You had a life. You got out of all the madness. And Lourdes says, no, it was a good dream, worth fighting for, worth, and then she dies. And listen, I don't believe that every character who dies here is never coming back. But this is a really good death scene. It's a really effective death scene. Anybody who wasn't happy that the original beautiful death scene got retconned out, well, you got what you wanted. (laughs) Here it is. Were there people, though, who were upset?
1: I guess there's people that are upset at everything.
0: Uh, I'm sure there are. I'm just guessing. I liked it. But anything that retcons a Claremont story, some people are going to object to. That's the thing, basically, at the end of the day. Anyway, that's a beautiful sequence. Really sad. I love Lordis and I, I love Lourdes. can't wait until she pops out of an egg, hopefully sometime soon. But if she doesn't for a while, well, she had a good showing. Jerry's laughing because he can't answer any of my questions. And that is the thing about doing this the day that this issue comes out. We cut back to the gala where Modok and Nimrod and Moira and Stasis are just having a great time. I thought Juggernaut was dead here. He sure seems it. He sure seems dead, but also he is the Juggernaut. Yeah, his head is beaten in though. Like it's His head is caved in. So I, yeah, I mean, it does look like he's pretty dead. We'll see what happens, I guess. His fluids are leaking out of him. There's a lot going on. And he's definitely not a mutant who can pop out of an egg, even if there are eggs to pop out of. So TBD on what will happen there. But I assume that winning the vote wasn't winning getting your head busted in permanently. So I don't know. We'll
1: see. Cross your fingers that uh, the character you voted for is receiving uh, health care inside of whatever orca school
0: he's in. I bet that's going to be a really fun time for him. I bet that he'll be really thankful that he won the fan vote. (laughs) Dr. Stasis announces that Firestar has been their mole all along. Jean's stratagem has completely worked. And Firestar, to her credit, immediately gets into character, which I love. She's like, all right, here we fucking go. I have no net, and I've got no time to practice this. Yes, and Dr. Stasis, like we're just going to improv our way through this scene. She does a great job. It's very convincing. We cut to Emma and Fisk. There's a great moment where Rasputin 4 says, the blob is smaller than I imagined him. And they have to be like, that's not the blob. Was that originally there? Or did you do that after people thought he was the blob in the Fall of X promo?
1: I didn't know that they thought he was.
0: People did. They were like, why is the blob so off-model? And it was like, because that's Kingpin without his blazer on, I actually, the joke
1: showed (laughs) up. And then I was like, is the joke funny? Oh, and then I was like, but you know what, this is a, a, a someone who is not from, who's displaced.
0: She's never met these people. She yeah, didn't recognize her favorite historical hero exactly until right. she was told who she was. So anyway, we then get to the lighthouse because the lighthouse keeper has created a safe haven, even if your original plot did not come to fruition.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Jumbo's quite fond of the lighthouse keeper. These, so these are gates that are in the basement of the Hellfire Club.
0: Is this what that key was about—the one from Giants, the one loose end still of the Krakoa era that hasn't been touched at all—is that key from the giant size issues that Jonathan was writing? You know what I'm—I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, we don't necessarily okay. have to answer that question right now. That's undetermined. Okay. Emma is going to go to Krakoa and launch a suicide mission, basically, to kill as many Orcus people as she can in one telepathic shot, which, quite honestly, work, in my opinion. Unfortunately, when she tries to walk through, as you foreshadowed so long ago at the beginning of Marauders... She breaks her nose on the solid gate, just like Kate did at the beginning of that story. And as Emma always feared would happen to her, because she hates when her nose gets broken, it's very expensive. Sink and Talon, here we see emphatically, have made it through and are taking on the leadership role that Scott and Jean wanted for them. So their story continues Emma isn't sure what's happened with the gate. This, by the way, this page is an exact mirror of that. Yes, of the Marauder's page.
1: Down to um, Miss Marvel is in the, I think it was Kurt, and then Kate is standing where Storm was to watch it. Usually when someone is paying off something that happened, was that 2018? When did we launch? 2019. Okay, but we wrote it in 2018. Sure, So, me, I experience time only slightly different. But, like, (laughs) we're coming up now, right? Like, that's a long time ago.
0: It's five years.
1: Usually you have to leave and come back and go, I wrote something once that I want to come back to.
0: Well, look at what Kieran's doing now with Hope Summers. I, it's picking up, and Sinister. It's like, those were his characters, those two characters. And now it's like, oh, the big plot you wanted to do, here it is. Here it is. Usually you do have to leave for 10 years and then come, and back, come back to and do And then that. have people go,
1: wait, wait a minute. I don't. Oh, I do remember that.
0: I'm very fortunate. Obviously,
1: a big part of this is borrowing Jonathan's rope, right? Marvel committed to this and this is what you get when you commit to something like this. You get stories that I hope were exciting issue in and issue out that have the chance to really come full circle. I'm very grateful.
0: I really loved it. Good. Talon and Sink managed to confirm that all of the gates are closed to mutants now. We cut back to my knees and the humans, the ambassadors, are complaining to Dr. Stasis. We're not mutants. And I- <laughs> oh, I'm the ambassador of Ireland to the United Nations. We're we'll not tolerate being held against our will for a second longer. And oh, I finally got a signal on my mobile. And the top news story is that there were no human survivors of the Hellfire Gala. I've got a family won't be chuffed at that headline. I've got to leave and correct that mistake. Dr. Stasis goes, oh, can you believe this? Our public relations department sent out the press release too early, which I assume is a joke about (laughs) your stories constantly being spoiled by solicitors.
1: You you can certainly (laughs) look at it that way, but there's also this like...
0: But it's also an I did it 35 minutes ago, Ozymandias in Watchmen kind of thing, right?
1: That too, but it's also the banality of evil of sort of, here's this organization that is still an organization. Like, it's a bunch of supervillains, but they are in the trappings of an organization. We've really done a lot of work to sort of show you how they are modeling society, literally, you know, and they're controlling the message. And part of that is through very good public relations. And they once again are presenting themselves. They got to eat the victory in AXE. They were the ones that the that humanity that took credit for
0: saving the world. right?
1: And here there's a press release that says Orcus arrived
0: too late to stop the mutants from all the mayhem. From killing all the human ambassadors and guests. Yeah. I did notice that no celebrity guests were present at this year's. I offered
1: there was I'm buddies with Mike McMahon, who, you know, is a great writer. And there were a few other friends that and I just said,
0: like, do you want me to kill you at the hell?
1: Look, here you go. Yeah. But we certainly if there were offers of celebrities that were coming in, it never got to us. They, I th-
0: We're like, no, 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 we don't. We're oh, not doing no, that this year.
1: This Irish ambassador is one real world figure. That is Declan Shelby, himself a citizen of... <laughs> so that's <step> us there. <laughs> that's funny. He signed the paperwork. I went in, I told them. I said, this is going <laughs> to be a bad end, but you can have a lot of fun. And uh, I tried to
0: match. Well, apologies to Mr. Shalby for my Irish accent. I... <laughs> <laughs> it's not very good.
1: No, I love your accents. These are all wonderful radio plays.
0: I do that on the Patreon. If you're listening and you are not a Patreon member, patreon.com slash We're doing the whole Claremont run. And I, I do funny voices. It's uh, It's a good time.
1: And then we have our, so the humans are killed.
0: This is another nail in the coffin of Charles's whole philosophy, because he does appease the humans, Orcus, that is. And Orcus kills all these innocent people anyway, because they don't fucking care. And once you've done the thing, once you've surrendered your values, they can just crush you, because now you have nothing. There's not them an inch. They're
1: going to keep asking for the next inch until you're out of... There is no negotiation
0: with this kind of ideology. You cannot talk your way out of it. That's exactly right.
1: Once you are confronted with fascism, the longer you delay in facing it, the harder the fight is.
0: We then get the return of Pepe Lara. (laughs) Oh, Pepe. These pages are astoundingly good.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, right?
0: I mean... To have him draw the big payoff to the Moira and Charles stuff here is just so good. I won't lie, Charles. I've been dreaming about this. Everything that's happened is your fault. Tonight will forever be known as the mutant massacre. You sold laced medicines. You invited Nathaniel Essex onto the island, and he almost ended all life on Earth. Excellent green or Echo Terrace, I could go on and on, but we have a busy day. Your dream is dead. And humanity will cheer for us as we capture and kill the Lottia. Take solace that you won't live to see it. I'm ready. That's right. Be brave. Oh, I wasn't talking to you. I was just thinking out loud. And we turn the pages. Rogue bursts through and rips Robo Moira limb from limb. This is a great little moment for Rogue, who comes back from her mission with the Avengers to save old Chuck. That's right. And she's already buying... The lie, right? Yes. She says, Firestar, be seeing you, traitor. I laughed out loud. But, like, listen, Gene was right that people would believe it. And Firestar has committed.
1: Firestar committed. Firestar's on the impulse
0: Sleep with the lights on, sugar.
1: <laughs> As she exits Mikey's at Mach 3.
0: I love this whole scene. I will say one thing I just have a request because I love all of the Moira stuff in this issue. We need to see the Bastion outfit with the trench coat again. The pink Bastion. That look with the chevron First of all, I want to know why she was like, I'm going to dress like Bastion, just like for funsies. But also, she looks so fucking cool in that outfit. And like, who's going to bring Bastion back? I mean, if you're listening, future writers of the X-Men, and you just like are a huge Bastion fan. I don't know. I think that can be Moira's outfit now, personally. I just love that look. I'd love to see her in it again. The one from Inferno. And the Hoxpox variant. I don't know. Fans, if you disagree, let me know. Or actually don't. I'm not really looking for notes on my sartorial choices. Jeff Deckel did this variant cover for Inferno where she's got that on and she's facing away with the trench coat billowing and the big hoop earrings and she looks so fucking cool. That's cool. I remember that one. It's a great supervillain look. Real talent. Anyway, Rogue carries Charles away, and he says, thank you, Rogue. And she's like, we have friends. We're reforming the Unity Squad with Steve Rogers. Like, we're doing the whole thing. She's been off panel, like, organizing the Uncanny Avengers Squad with Steve Rogers since the attack on the UN. And then suddenly Charles freaks out because they're all gone. Who's gone? People like when I read Rogue, so I'm just going to yeah, read it. Thank you, and it'll be a little levity in this truly horrendous, horrible moment. Thank you, Rogue. Hang on, they're deploying Sentinels after us. I'm taking you. Steve Rogers, he's reforming the Unity Squad. We have Ferens. My God. My God. No, 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 no. Take me to the island. That's suicide, Charles. Please, don't understand. They're all gone, Rogue. Who's gone? Our mutant family. Everyone who walked through the gates. They were, they were meant to go to Araco. I can't reach them. A- any of them. They're all gone. All of them. They're all dead. And he drops the helmet into the surf. Charles, there were a quarter million mutants on Krakoa. They can't all be gone. But they are. I made everyone walk through the gates, at the party and across the planet. Stasis told me I had to, but I didn't know. I didn't know they did something to the gates. I pushed them into a meat grinder. They're all dead. All dead. And I killed them. Now leave me and go avenge them. Avenge Krakoa. Rogue flies away. Charles trembled in the waves and wept for all he'd built was now in ruins. He anguished for the children he helped murder that night. All good things must end, and the fall of the House of X had begun. Pacific Archipelago of Krakoa, population one. I said this sort of at the beginning, right? jerry i don't buy it i don't think that all of the millions of mutants on earth have just been eviscerated in a meat grinder but i believe that charles believes it because charles if he can't sense i do love even the here he's just like i didn't know and it's like well charles it doesn't matter whether you knew or not don't cooperate with these people but you know what are you gonna do i get that many 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 innocent human lives were on the line he was in a very tricky situation You can't say anything, I assume. Well, I will say one thing. If you were not
1: within a reasonable distance to a gate before
0: this happened... There are people who won't have made it to a gate in time. There
1: are people who were coerced who'd never made it there, but none of them are on Krakoa. So, yes, many of the what looks to be the stars of the line now were people either trained in the Red Triangle defense or characters that were saved by those characters, meaning Miss Marvel and so on and so forth. Right. There are some mutants around the world.
0: But also, all that this confirms is that they've gone somewhere. We know that Realm of X is taking place in the Norse realms. We know that there are some mutants lost in Limbo, per the solicits for Dark X-Men. So... It seems possible that whatever Mother Righteous was doing to the gates, perhaps they led to different places. And we'll see where that all goes. Jerry's nodding, and I'm just going to take that and not ask you for any further details. (laughs) Wherever all the mutants in the world are, Charles Xavier can't sense them. So they're not on Earth, and they're not on this plane of reality. They didn't go to Araco as they were supposed to do, because he would be able to pick them up.
1: Yeah, they have a satellite array that n- no one knows about.
0: The one that Forge made while the cloned Xavier brains that Gene helped set up. Yeah, they basically have a, like a
1: transatlantic cable mm-hmm. between the planets.
0: That's when we get the big Fall of X title card and the solicit for the previously classified book, Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, the four-issue miniseries by Aman Valani and Sabir Perzada, which is going to introduce Kamala more thoroughly to the world of the X. I mean, she already knows a lot of these mutant characters, but I mean, it's funny because the covers are all like wholesome, new mutancy kind of covers, but I just don't think it's going to be that.
1: They're doing a wonderful job of... Keeping this very hard story in the Miss Marvel strike zone. They really have a total command of everything that that book should be. I think the new uniform is wonderful.
0: I like it. I've seen a lot of reactions to it. What I would say is that Marvel's official Beginner's Guide to the Avengers, it's being published in hardcover next month, features Kamala in her iconic costume. So I think it's okay for her to have another outfit she wears when she's hanging out with her mutant friends. I don't see a problem with that.
1: I don't either. And as you know, what we have proven now time and again, we knew that the Hellfire Gala would nourish the other parts of the business, like Bill Roseman, the gaming, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Those designs show up very quickly in other places. Uh, you know, they are little hero clicks.
0: The mobile games and
1: the toys and yeah. You know, there's always a chance to leave your own mark on a character with a new look, a new power, a new whatever. All of these things, none of them ever erase what came before. And honestly, what came before will likely come again. You know, that's the great thing about this uh, story now that's been going on for 60 years. It's 60 60 years. years
0: This is the 60th anniversary this month.
1: 60th anniversary of X-Men. The gift I brought them was death.
0: Well, you reiterated the theme, right? (laughs) Yeah, now they have something
1: to overcome. We have a new... There's a lot new, but I think a lot that is in a a shape that I think X-Men fans will appreciate or I hope appreciate.
0: I just want to point out that Jubilee is on the cover of Ms. Marvel the New Mutant number three. For anybody who is still real I mean covers lie, but Yeah. Anyway, we get the fall of X. Checklist for the upcoming issues, which is now in a new, like it's it's a new style. It's been redesigned in a way that's really cool. It says Krakoa is for all mutants, but it's kind of collapsing and is sort of a graffiti thing. It looks like someone spray painted it with a stencil as a message of support or resistance or something like that. It looks more like a work of art. The next issue coming up, Follow the Fall, X-Men twenty-five with Kate Pride, Kitty Pride, Cat Pride, who knows, as Shadow Cat once more. And then we get the post-credit sequence that we mentioned earlier. And it was not designed to be necessarily a post-credit sequence. It was just... No, you said that, but it works
1: really well that way. But it worked really well when we were putting the book together. When you have a book this size, you run into constraints very quickly. And some of the data pages were eaten up into an overage. I couldn't fit the book into the 70-page shape. And then, of course, the gods page arrived during the production sure so we started whatever we needed to do but it became a complicated matter because there are pages that we wanted to preserve as page turns so pagination was something that Jordan
0: we've been talking about this offline but I've written my first comics project recently and that was the craziest thing to like as a reader who had never quite thought about it that much sure. figuring that out when scripting is one of the weirdest things about this medium realizing that when the page turns for a reveal is something you have to be thinking about every two pages is really interesting to me
1: there's a learning curve to comics and sequential storytelling that you get it fast you got it fast you know
0: you got you pick it up but it's it's just like There are little things that are just alien to your reading experience because you don't think about them unless you're making it, you know, not in a deep way anyway. Like, I know that you turn a page, there's a reveal sometimes, but I hadn't thought about how that impacts the way you structure the script of the issue. Emma and Fisk are making a deal, basically. He's like, obviously, you have no reason to trust me. And she's like, yeah, but I'll take it right now. I trust fascists less than I trust you. So we'll figure it out. Emma and Fisk, of course, also have a complicated fraud history that we saw both in the Marauder's arc with Lourdes and then in Devil's Reign, X-Men. So I'm excited to see more of them interacting together. Kate leans back against the gate and says, well, at least you'll all start getting used to being unable to use the gates like I am. And she immediately falls backwards through it with a shout to everyone's shock and alarm. It's actually, it's specifically Emma and Conan, which I like because as of the end of Hellions, Silic does not like Emma Frost. And I would love to see them like kind of have it out a little bit. So just them standing together because they're in a bad situation is funny, but I'm like, oh, the second Kate was gone, they immediately were like, they were not having a nice time, those two, because she has no time for Emma's shit whatsoever. Oh, Kate then falls through the gate in Jerusalem. We are back to the top. Orca says, what the hell is this? And she says, ugh, you fellas aren't going to behave, are you? So this is taking us back to the beginning of House of X when Magneto at the embassy in Jerusalem Said you have new gods now. I talked to Jonathan about that scene in the Apocalypse episode, episode 101, that I did with him recently because there was a lot of debate and discussion about like what that meant and everything. And I I was pleased that he and I got to dig into it a little bit. It's obviously a callback in such a great roundabout way. But for Kate, I think it's interesting that it's her and Magneto. They're the two most famous Jewish characters. That I mean, it's them and the thing, I guess. But Jonathan and I talked about how, like, the historic nature of all Western religion being born from this place is weighty.
1: It's loaded. And, you know, we haven't shied away from those big loaded things. And the idea that Kate falls through the gate to end up back at the top of the story was actually something I I want to say. This was a suggestion from Jordan, mind you. I had written this exactly as you're reading it. It didn't have a locator though, mm-hmm. so I said, "Here's the thing that I need," and now I'm I need to be careful because I would be talking about the following week's books. Sure, the Hellfire Gal is the 26th, and then seven days later.
0: X-Men 25 is the second. It will be the first
1: preview pages probably for an X-Men comic where a character is talking. I gave a park bench moment for Kate and her rabbi.
0: Cool. I'm excited.
1: That's how that comic opens.
0: I love A Significant Bench. A Significant Bench. It's so funny how quickly that has become an iconic piece of X-Men iconography yes, it's an, it's because an iconography. of House of a- Like, it just is now. When you are there, you know it's something important. Something important is
1: happening. There's 60 pages practically of action in this comic, but some of the most important things that are happening here are some of the quieter moments in this particular issue. X-Men twenty-five, I'll try not to talk about, but you know, Kate obviously now can use the the gates, right. And is the only one that can use the only one who can use the gates. But that goes back, Connor, to that's twenty eighteen thinking. Jordan, Jonathan, and I had that from the jump.
0: That someday it would reverse and only Kate could use them? 100%. That's really fun. That was early days.
1: Like, I don't know if we had the Marauder's title. It might've still been X-Men Buccaneers. (laughs) But we always knew that there would be the time when the Wheel of Fortune would turn. And we talk about that in the Wheel of Fortune and that, you know, in, in Hellfire, it was a perfect triangle. And we have a triangle here at the end. We have humans, we have mutants, and we have AI.
0: And you have the red triangle. There's a repeated, triangle. There's a repetition of the shape. Mm. Also, if you go way back to House of X 2 and the cover that I think, I actually said when someone asked yeah, the, on I, social media recently, like, what's the most iconic cover of the last 20 years or whatever? That's not an homage to a previous cover. And I said, it's this one for me. It's all those triangles of Moira's different yeah. lives. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's a great choice. I think there have been so many artists, though, that have shown up like, I try not to think about how it is. I certainly don't participate in the discussion about it. I think the fans deserve to have their space to do it. I only really am upset when I'm included in the story of it, which I'm not legally allowed to be able to even read. You know, I have to block people that are doing that sort of thing. And it's few and far between, really. I think most people understand.
0: Well, but when it's bad, it's bad there. I mean, we don't have to get into it, but. Sure. you know there's bad behavior
1: i have gotten into trouble by pointing out to people that i think they have surrendered their political power and spending that time in capital arguing about fandom is not helping make the world a better place like my job is to hurt these characters and give them problems to overcome and hopefully they do and if they don't hopefully that's a story that resonates you know we don't always win how do they react to losing? And so, you know, it is a soap opera. It's a violent soap opera, but it's one that I think has been made better by what Jonathan and Arby and Pepe did with that big sci-fi take. And we got a year of X-Men superhero comics from with Pepe Larraz that was never going to happen without any of that. There have been so many good comics over the years, comics that I love that, you know, I think will be forever comics, you know?
0: Oh, I think, I mean, I think this is, it, you guys got to land the plane, but so far I think this is the best flight, certainly since Morrison. I mean, I'm there. That's not to insult any of the writers in the interim, but it's been a long time since X-Men as a franchise was allowed to be this big, was allowed to shake the table this much. Well,
1: you know, it was the big swing that, Jonathan had and then the rope that CB and everyone at Marvel in the bullpen gave first Jonathan and then by extension the folks that he was collaborating with and it has remained this uh, amazing collaborative effort. I don't think I'm kidding there is a part of me that just when this is over you know would love to write something that is just an editor a writer an artist and, and like the team, the letter of the colors. (laughs) And you don't
0: have to talk to anybody
1: else about it. (laughs) Well, it's been wonderful. It's been so wonderful, Yeah, especially to have it, but it is a bit much. It just, it's a lot, a lot more effort to write in what is really essentially a writer's room where we're all telling stories that need to reflect each other. And it's been a, a, just a monumental task for everyone in editorial to make sure that these Things have worked, and I think we've had things that have worked. If we had things that didn't quite work, I still admire the swings that we've had. And, and it's not over yet.
0: No, 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 no. Act three is still an act that exists. Yeah. And we've been going on five years, five years in contemporary comics. really a really long time. So I, uh, I'm excited to see what happens next. And I have faith that it's going to be a great ride, even if it hurts on the way down.
1: Well, I hope it will hurt less than you think.
0: These characters
1: have been through the ringer before. You know, I'm so excited for Sai's book with Kurt is a wonderful book. You know, I wish there were some of our other titles that were continuing on, but the new stuff that we're getting, Torin on Realm and Kieran's continuing on Immortal and Al's Not Going Anywhere. And we're lucky to have the group that we have and lucky to have the characters that we do and we're obviously lucky to be paired with the artists it's a visual medium i've tried to do my part and do it well and be very boring in real life and exciting i'm glad this hit for you i was i was nervous especially you know doing sort of an autopsy on the book on the day well
0: this was your idea i want to note you reached out to me i wouldn't i wouldn't have asked you to do it But I was thrilled when you said you wanted to.
1: (laughs) Well, I have quit being available on social media, really. But this is such a moment of importance for the line. And I think my X-Men story that I sort of wanted to honor it. I do think it was important to talk about everything, whether it was, you know, the the makeup of the team or the disappointment that some people might feel at the death of their favorite character. And to those folks, I say, I, I understand, I don't like, I went years without killing characters in one of the most violent books I've ever written, because I didn't want to kill any characters. But to anyone that is sad or upset, I say, hold fast.
0: Hold fast. Jerry, thank you so much for being my guest today. This was a great experience. I am still reeling. And the thing that's tough for me, honestly, is I can't talk about this comic with anybody <laughs> for like yeah, that's a true. while. That's and uh, it's and, and everybody is like, oh my God, what do you think is going to happen to Gail? And I'm like, I have no idea. I was like, I got to go. Actually, I have a meeting. My phone, can you hear it? I have to, I have to leave. Well, you have Teeny on the speed dial. She'll she'll. The first thing I did was I text. I was like, Teeny Howard and Steve too. They're very good yeah. at both. Steve. I'm good friends with Steve Fox. Like they're all very good at not spoiling this stuff for me. And uh, I'm always furious with them when I'm taken back. <laughs> <laughs> but thrilled also cuz i don't like being spoiled i like finding out as as it happens
1: yeah hey we didn't talk about the steves the steves have some really cool things going on
0: well dark x-men i mean dark x-men is
1: like your favorite
0: that's made for me in a in a lab somewhere and then Steve Orlando, I work with outside of his comics work, but we've talked a little bit about what he's hoping to do with this Iceman book, and I think it's going to be really exciting. So,
1: Iceman is wonderful, and you know, the they have a thing that is unannounced. Did they announce? Mm, no. Together co-writing? Okay. I don't think so. They have a really fun thing that, you know, once once an X Man, always an X Man. That's what I'll say there. That's my tease.
0: Interesting. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say to the fandom at large before we wrap up and I encourage you to never be on Twitter again?
1: I would say it's chaos, be kind. I'll borrow Michelle McNamara's mantra for today's world. It's chaos, be kind. Resist fascism. We hope your characters, your favorite characters, will overcome it, and uh, we hope you enjoy the superhero punch-ups. That's what we're trying to do. We are entertainers. I hope, as hard as this issue was, that it was the most entertaining. It's basically a trade paperback of new content that we hope is wildly entertaining. I will say this, even if you are seeing your favorites played with in a very rough way, It's the most beautiful X Men comic, I think.
0: Even (laughs) when it's it's pretty incredibly drawn, yeah. Really well
1: drawn. You know, even the variant covers. You know, we have wonderful designs. Jen Bartel, all sorts of folks that want to come out and want to play in the Hellfire Gala world because it allows us to step back and it, it allows our partners, who are usually have a little bit less agency sometimes in how this stuff plays out, they get first crack. And so what a joy that is to be able to do that for wildly talented collaborators without which none of this stuff would be anything at all. So I hope you dig it. You have X-Men 25 a week from now.
0: And today you have Iron Man, Invincible Iron Man 8, which I would recommend you read if, like me, you were completely devastated by this comic. Because it's a glimmer of hope, you know, perhaps a diamond shining in the dark, right? So I, it made me feel a little bit better. What would you think about the last page of that one? Love it. Did you see that one coming? I saw it before she did, but that's what you want, is you want the reader to figure it out right before the character does, but not too much earlier than they do.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just curious. What a fun run both of these books are alongside Uncanny Avengers, which has a really uncanny with Javier and Maury. That's another one. I'm very, very, very lucky to be able to have editorial give me the rope to be able to reach for so much stuff at the same time that There's a really important Avengers book and
0: Ryan North is crushing FF and Right. And that's a hero's office title in County Avengers, right? So that's the it's a collab, I'm sure, but like it's under Yeah, it, it is. It's
1: a Tom Jam. And who we will eventually unmask as the person who has absconded with the Captain Krakoa suit, the battle suit, is I I hope a real good bit of business all around for everybody. It's gonna be very entertaining.
0: I'm excited about that. Thank you for your time, bud. Thank you for your time. Holy shit, was it four hours? It's yeah, it's midnight. We gotta stop. I'll see you on Wednesday in San Diego.
1: See you on Wednesday.
0: You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the Discord server, the merch store, and much, much more at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast for $5 a month at the House of Zaladin tier at Patreon.com CerebroCast. You can get an ad-free version of every episode as soon as they go up, plus exclusive access to the secret files, bonus episodes, including the Cerebro appendix about more minor characters, characters, the new series Worrying About It, about complicated continuity snarls, and the ongoing Claremont Marathon read-along, which has resumed, plus most recently an industry interview with former Marvel CEO and Vice Chairman Peter Cuneo about the creation of Marvel Studios. So just lots of content. I really appreciate the support because it pays my bills and it's what keeps this show going. So please do kick in if you love what I do. Jerry, why don't you tell them, well, you don't really want to be on social media anymore. So but they could follow you on Instagram at Dig Duggan. You got a you got fun Instagram stuff on
1: Instagram. And I am posting links from my sub stack and occasionally doing programming notes. But I'm not on the bad place anymore. So follow my Substack If you're interested, also, I, I have a book that you might
0: yes check out
1: the photo book i don't have too many copies left of the hardcover but i do have some available what's fun is i hope even if i'm not your favorite comic book writer i probably photographed your favorite comic book writer and
0: and the photos are gorgeous uh, timing slash luck by jerry duggan it's my copy sitting right over there
1: well i thank you for backing it and it was a true joy to collaborate on that and i hope uh I hope if you check it out. You you dig it. So, uh, and, and I'll be at San Diego, but that, but it's already happened already now by happened. the time
0: that you're hearing this, but, but I hope that you liked the pictures of us. Yes. Cause we'll take some pics. Yep. We haven't yet, but we will, but we will, by the way, we sort of alluded to it earlier, but love the unions. We love everything that's going on yeah. Their Comic book writers are not covered by any union. And, uh, that's a shame. Well, we are,
1: <laughs> we are independent contractors and by law...
0: Unless you're grandfathered into one of the existing guilds, you can't form a new one in this country if you're a freelancer. So that is, uh, that's the story. I've just seen people who are like, is it scabbing to go to San Diego Comic-Con? And just to be clear, it's not. No, Unless you're a SAG person who's been told not to promote something, but that's different from going to promote your comics writing that's not covered by the WGA. And the WGA is cool with that. Just
1: FYI. There's a lot of business at San Diego Comic-Con that does not impact the writers' demands. Obviously, we are all hoping that our very reasonable demands are met. What I suspect may start to happen now is that the AMPTP has never been more different historically, and I do think you might start to see some side deals happen to get people back to work.
0: We'll see. We'll see. I mean, this hasn't happened in what sixty years. It's like the X Men. <laughs> it's been yeah, around for six years. Like, you know,
1: happy anniversary.
0: And I want to thank Chris Reel and the WGA Strike Team for inviting us out for that X Men picket, oh, was which wonderful. was super fun. It was a themed event. I was really flattered to be invited because it was like Jerry Duggan, Tini Howard, Christina Strain. Wonderful cosplayers. Yeah. They were like, and we'd like you to come. And I was like, oh, well, please, <laughs> I'd love to. But anyway. All that to say, keep up the good work, stand in solidarity with your comrades, resist fascism, make your own red triangle in the heart of your mind. Hope you survive the experience. Keep resisting. Until next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world.
1: Only hope is...